0: You're listening to episode 262 of the Comics Pals. We're a group of comic journalists and friends who record a podcast together because we don't talk enough about comics in our daily lives.
1: Well, you know, it's the day before All Hallows' Eve. And nope. uh, is that not true? It's the day after. Isn't all is
2: All Hallows' Eve not October 31st? No, it's Halloween Eve. Oh, it, Today's Hallows' Eve. Oh yeah, you're right. Thank you. See, when
1: we record the show recorded 2 days before it releases.
3: I was thinking about the release. Oh, I was
1: <laughs> I was okay. Uh and I th- I figured we could start things a little differently this time. I've been feeling very spooky lately. Uh I was really just wondering uh between the 5 of us because we have a full set of pals here today, if anyone has any spooky stories or or spooky memories or things they just couldn't explain throughout their life that they would want them to share today. Um,
3: go ahead, Gail. I do have one. Okay. Um, okay. I can try to keep this as short as possible. Um, so one time I um I was out uh riding my bike in like the furthest parts of um Amarillo. Where I'm from and um, where I live in Texas is flat. Nothing out there for miles. Um So you can see a storm coming when it comes. Unless you can't. And this time a storm just, I mean, it hit just the highest, tallest, darkest clouds you could, uh, you know, uh that you've ever seen thunder lightning just assaulting rain um and i got stuck in it uh riding my bike maybe 10 11 or so is how old i was uh what a lot of people don't know is there is an an abandoned um buddhist monastery at the uh at the edge of town don't know the story behind it all i know is that it Is abandoned and it's there uh so i was out i knew i was by this monastery so i turned the corner on this on this muddy road and uh went and hid in in this monastery from from the rain and um because it was such a heavy and and intense storm i uh, i knew i'd be there a while right so i uh started snooping around um, looked through the kitchen, you know, nothing there. Uh went up the first floor, mostly bedrooms, you know, old mattresses and sort of um uh the sort of metal springy cots, just you know, rusted left to waste or whatever. Nothing too, you know, conspicuous or anything. So I went up to the attic and this is where things got weird in the attic was uh just a chest just like a you know a, a box like a hope chest um, that's a bad sign uh, and you bet your ass i went right to it <laughs> um so with uh that you know the rain just it was pounding on the roof you know just pounding and um I could you know you could there were there were windows you know on the slanted roof that was being illuminated by the lightning I uh, opened the opened the lid of this chest and there was a dude in it wait what a full a ass skeleton
1: oh no
3: <laughs> what and I, sw- I swear to god he reached up and he grabbed my leg and he pulled it
2: just like I'm pulling yours well, <laughs> if, if you want more monster fiction from Kale, head to KaleWard.com. <laughs>
4: I, so I, it's maybe not that creepy, but this one time um, at one of my older houses, I was maybe 12, and our parents were throwing a party, uh, like a family event. And all the kids were just in the basement because you know, the adults are drinking and dancing and stuff. And so we're all hanging out. It gets to be two, three in the morning. We're all getting sleepy. So we pull out, you know, covers. We open up the sofas, get ready just to, to go to bed. And uh, I had gone to bed in one particular corner of the the basement. Um, and I I'd noticed that there was a like a, a spider web up top and um, a spider sort of just like circling around it. So... I was like, all right, hopefully it doesn't, like, you know, nothing happens, it doesn't fall on me or anything. Um, And we all go to bed. And and that night I felt like, probably because I was worried about the spider, like these tingly sensations and and all this stuff. And uh, the next morning when I wake up, the spider's not there. And so I'm freaking out, oh, maybe it did, like, crawl all around and stuff. And um, But then I realized that because it had moved away from the center of the the web, um, there was a ball there, and it was a ball. Uh, and 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 I like went up closer to, to figure out what it was. Uh, it was an egg. And uh, during the night, the the thought was that the egg had like the spider, the baby spiders had come out because um, my other cousins that were in the basement and like that next morning we're finding like little spiders around the floor. Oh, uh, so that night I had, I had presumably gotten covered with baby spiders that had just given birth. Oh,
5: that is like oh. truly,
2: that is like truly a nightmare that I, yeah. um, I don't have like a real spooky story, but that reminded me of like the worst nightmare I've ever had. Um, it was like, so when my uh, my parents got divorced, right, and um, my mom, like, moved all the stuff out of the house that I grew up in, and this is, like, a, a, maybe, like, two, three years after that point. Um, and I had a dream that it was – then that she was like packing things up and taking them out and she was like hey like Pete come here I have a box with a bunch of stuff of yours I want you to see if you want any of it so I go into the hallway I pick up this box and open it and just a bunch of giant spiders just start like Cthulhuing out and just on top like eating me and like I remember waking up with like my heart pounding like so hard and I've never, ever had a nightmare like that. It was like so intense.
1: <laughs> well, that's your superhero origin story. That's how you become Spider-Man.
3: <laughs> Pete becomes Spider-Man. <laughs> I was going to
5: say Spider-Man.
2: I'm just made of all these spiders.
3: Because <laughs> once, similar to Pete, I had a dream right around the time my parents got divorced. Uh, my dad and I were in our kitchen and and I could hear my mom screaming down the hall in the bathroom. This is a dream, by the way. Uh,
0: could, could, could hear Why her. are we telling our dreams right now? What the fuck is this? It's scary.
5: <laughs>
0: not scary.
3: Well, not yet. I haven't gotten there. <laughs> so I found she's... this skeleton, right?
5: <laughs>
3: <laughs> she uh, So she's screaming down the hall. So I go to see what's going on. And I peek into the bathroom. And I can see her face in the bathroom and do you guys remember from batman the animated series when the guy turns into the man bat
5: mm-hmm. yeah
3: my mom does this in the in the bathroom oh, like right in front of me great and then she turns around and she grabs my leg just like it no
5: uh. <laughs> that i
3: i have had that nightmare though that's yeah yeah <laughs>
0: Wow. Well, okay. <laughs> so let's see. We got two dreams, a fake story, and a story about spiders. Maybe, possibly, crawling <laughs> over someone's body. Great cool. stuff. Where's John your G? spooky
3: story, hot shot? John, do you have? I one. didn't.
0: I didn't. This is in my bit, dude. I didn't claim I had a scary story. <laughs> well, you <know>? I <laughs> You're gonna sit here and criticize
3: ours like you didn't bring nothing to the table. I didn't tell you to bring something to the table, Mr.
0: Dreamland. <laughs> Who the fuck are you afraid of? Freddy Krueger? I'm afraid of absolutely everything. Are you kidding me? Did you hear afraid... the stories I just told? Uh, I, I'm afraid of the scary quality of this podcast right now. Go ahead, <laughs> uh, you
1: had, I thought you had something to say there. Sure, sure. I can tell one real quick. Uh, I remember when I was a kid, <laughs> I uh, would stay at a log cabin in the woods in Jersey. And when we would stay there uh, in the attic, we were always told not to go up there. But in the attic, uh, I did go up there anyway, of course, because I was curious. There was a bed and a chest for the person that, who lived there and died there. That's what we were told. Like the person that previously lived there before it became a lot of cabin to be rented out, you know, died there several years before. Um, so every night while I was staying there, I would hear bumping and thumping in the attic. And I would look, because we had a dog with us um, that my, it was my cousins. Uh, I would look at the dog to see if the dog was reacting, but the dog would never react. So I thought, this is fine. I'm going to go to bed. I'd wake up in the morning. There would be, be these little like stuffed animals that were lined on the stairs leading to the main floor of the house, and they were all knocked on the floor. And this happened for four straight nights. So finally, we go up to the attic, And I had found out that my parents had put a bunch of stuff up there for storage. And so, you know, they heard it too. So we took all the stuff that we had put up there for storage back downstairs. And all of a sudden, the rest of the time we were there for the the next week, there were no more bumps and thumps in the night. Wild. Yeah. (laughs) It seems like that. Well, it seemed like whoever was the previous occupant was mad that we had put stuff in his room.
2: Ah, so. I see. Okay, <laughs> I like the idea that this ghost like wakes up to go through his normal haunting routine, and it's like he's like a like a parent like walking through a, a living room and like stepping on a Lego, like son of a bitch, like clean up your shit. <laughs> yeah. And every morning, these little uh, stuffed animals that were lined on the stairs would be
1: knocked over until the stuff in the attic was removed. They were no longer knocked over.
0: Mm. There you go. All right, I'll tell one. Yes. Here we okay. go. this story happened when i was about eight years old uh my i had a i had a a neighbor downstairs neighbor i lived on the third floor they this family lived on the second and i used to stay there a lot um i used to get picked up by them after school and stuff like that on this particular day my my mother was not around so i had to stay there a bit longer um and i was told to go check to see if my mom was home to go knock on the door of my uh, my house and check so i left i went upstairs i rang the bell uh i got nothing and so i went down the stairs and as i'm going back to the apartment so my apartment is on the let's say the left side of the building the apartment i'm going to is on the right side so i go down the stairs. I'm walking to the right side and as I'm walking past the staircase um on that end going coming up is a, is a is a guy. So I'm a very scared child. So I'm like, "Uh, oh, who's this?" But I just keep walking until I notice that he's looking at me. Oh, no. And then I stop moving and he stops moving. He stops walking up the stairs. So I'm like, "What the fuck?" So I run i i run up this up the steps that were there and he chases me Mm -mm. i run two 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 uh stories up to the fourth floor and then i dart across the way to go down the other side of steps thinking that somehow i'm gonna avoid this at some point in all the running i realize that there's no one behind me (sighs) so i go knock on my door again. I buzz, I knock. And of course I don't get a response. So I wait and I don't hear any movement in the building at all. I'm like, okay, maybe the coast is clear. So I go back to where I was before. I go back to the family friend's apartment and um, the woman says, Oh, no one was home. And I said, no one was home. And someone just chased me in the hallway. And she's like, Oh my God that's you know that's horrible are you okay and i say yeah i'm fine so i walk into the living room and the guy is there <gasps> and he looks at me and he smiles at me and he says i was just having a bit of fun mm, what <laughs> the fuck Mm-mm. ever since then i have had dreams of being chased <laughs> my entire life and bet dude <laughs> adults are so
2: fucked up with shit like that like sarah is has a lifelong fear of sharks because her dad held her out over the jaws ride and now she's afraid of sharks forever it's like you can't fucking scare little kids like that man give them a lifelong fear
0: who <laughs> who did this guy end up being sean he was just a family friend just uh, <laughs> some guy. yeah he a was wild. and i i would go on to see him quite a bit after that that wasn't the last time i saw him by any means but yeah yeah i didn't know who he was at the time and it freaked me out did you like did that
2: like make you forever like think that guy was like like did you like associate him with being scared or did you eventually just like be like okay i know this person i got over it yeah
0: I got over it with that with that guy, but like I said, the dreams never stopped. I, I have had it, well, they don't happen anymore, but I used to have dreams of myself being chased by the green goblin in Central Park. <laughs>
2: sure. Come here, Sean Man. But
3: that's I mean, that's a real nightmare.
0: So Kale, just out of curiosity, um, do I do I win? Uh no, I think I think Phil's was the most
1: supernatural paranormal spooky yeah <laughs> can't explain whatever that was shawn's yeah. was actually scary though <laughs> <laughs> <It> was chased <laughs> by a man <laughs> yeah like if
3: if the guy had never shown up uh you know nobody knew who he was or whatever Uh, You might have taken it but
1: (laughs) Well no it'd be like Sean shows up at his family friend's apartment And explains the story but then on the wall He sees a picture of the man (laughs) Yeah (laughs) There hasn't been a man here
3: In
0: 40 years (laughs) Listeners Write it and say who you thought were. We have a lot of show to do today It is Halloween Tomorrow for us for you guys It's already passed but of course, we are still in the spirit, as you just heard. Um, but we're also in the spirit of giving and the spirit of receiving. So if you want to support the show, you can do so by writing to us at the comics pals at gmail.com, leaving us a follow or rating a review wherever it is that you're listening to us. Get us on YouTube at the comics pals, slash uh, the comics pals subscribe for free like the video share it with your friends all that stuff's free to do and it helps us out a lot more than it costs you check out our new york comic-con interviews which are still rolling on youtube um give us your feedback on that listen to our comic book reviews we did an in-depth analysis this week of inferno number two we also talked about the long halloween special number one keeping things real spooky on the review show uh, so check that out. Great set of books. Yes, absolutely. And then make sure you guys listen to Journey into Quistery, episode three. Uh, Tyler finished getting married; that was the longest marriage ever, and uh, <laughs> he's he's back. So uh, we we did that, and it was fun. We had on um, we had on uh, the creative team behind the Bardic Verses, mm. uh, and uh, that was pretty cool. Kale they and I, fun, yeah. yeah, they were a lot of fun um you guys might be hearing from them on here pretty soon so stay tuned for that and then also the eternals book club uh that was a really good one go check that out um obviously the movie comes out next week next week friday and so we'll be reviewing that if you want to hear that make sure that you guys tune in on monday next monday to uh hear us talk about the eternals movie if you want to hear us talk about The Eternals Book Club, go on and check that out. I don't think you need to have read the book in order to enjoy our book club. Give that a shot. Let us know. does that work? Did it work for you? Were you able to get sort of the idea of the book through our conversation? Uh, here's one person who wrote in and had his idea of the book. Um, Pete, why don't you read this first listener comment? This
2: first one comes from Torsten over on YouTube, who wrote in and said, there are two sides of the coin with Gaiman's Eternals. It's a good story and a good read. On the other side, his interpretation probably hurts continuity more than it moves it forward. I'm torn as I like his writing, but I hate what he does to the characters. Kirby's original run is still unchallenged. Well,
0: I wouldn't know that. Uh, Unfortunately, I haven't read the original run, but um, I've been thinking about this, this, this uh eternals that we that we did a book club for since we did it um it's it's one of my greatest examples of a missed i guess a missed opportunity in storytelling Mm -hmm. um and so i've been a little frustrated but also fascinated by that i wonder if there's more uh more to the story behind the scenes than we necessarily know about why it came out the way it did
1: he well, it brings up Jack Kirby's run and kind of, I feel like the popular discourse around Jack Kirby's kind of uh, career in his, in his uh, bibliography is that the Eternals was kind of his weakest production that he did throughout his entire comic book career.
5: Mm.
1: Really? That's my kind of, you know, colloquial understanding of of his run of his career is that like his eternal stuff is like the least interesting thing he did. huh?
3: My understanding is that they the Eternals are are basically a a sort of technological stand-in for the uh, the Inca people, hmm. um, and so like all the everything that you know, like the the Inca people accomplished, there's no way they couldn't have done it without the Eternals,
0: <laughs> you know, Thank things like that. Interesting. Well, we're going to be talking more about the Eternals a little later as we talk about the uh, the current Rotten Tomatoes score for that movie and why it is actually remarkable and uh, a landmark of some kind. Um, we're also going to be talking about uh, th- the villain of Batgirl, uh, who is Brendan Fraser and uh, what we can expect from that. Just Brendan the Fraser. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. The the guy from The Mummy. Yeah. Welcome back. Welcome back, Brendan. Yes. uh, Iron Fist is getting a new series and a new main character, and that's going to dovetail into our main topic this week about the state of diversity in the comics industry. We've talked a lot about diversity on this show, more so, I feel like, in earlier years than recent, but... um, We got a request to do this topic and also just the fact that I think there is a lot of meat on the bone right now. Um, So we'll be we'll be diving into that a little bit later on. But Pete, why don't you jump us back into the listener comment?
2: So we got another one from Garrett Harshman. This is on episode 261, who wrote in and said, as an indie book rebooted, I'd love to see Cy Spurrier write Hellboy with art by Ben Templesmith.
4: This was a good one. Yep. This is a really good one. A good one. Mm. And uh, stay tuned because Sizeberry has a new book coming out in two weeks. Or like the announcement comes out I'm soon. Really
2: like, stay tuned because this book exists.
5: <laughs> <laughs> that would have been
1: yeah. great. How do you guys feel about the idea of different creative teams taking on like We've talked about it with Spawn, but the idea of taking on long-standing creative-owned like properties, like John, uh, like uh, Mike McNally, Hells- Hellboy, or, or you know, uh, 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 Todd McFarlane, Spawn, d- does it ever feel kind of weird to you the idea of like other creative teams taking on something that a creator did for like 10, 15, 20 years? I think it de-
2: hmm. d- it depends. Yeah, that's what I was going to say, Sean. <laughs> yeah, like Pete, you love Invincible. What if someone else took it over? invincible is i think actually an interesting example to illustrate how i feel about it because um if you were ever at any point reading invincible month to month or like you heard robert um kirkman talk about it when the series was ending his plan was actually always to do that was to eventually hand off the book um when he and ryan were done with it and let somebody else continue it um and i remember he used to joke that um he, his his vision for the series was that he and ryan would be sitting in a retirement home being like i can't believe how these kids fucked up invincible um, and that that's like kind of how property should exist in comics um, obviously that's not what ended up happening right like he ended the book when he felt that they had reached a natural conclusion um, and i feel like That is kind of where the line is for me is like with a a story like Invincible, which has a very clear like arc or multiple arcs, but like it has a clear kind of beginning, middle and end when you really break it down. It's complete. It's done. You know, I don't really feel like there's much you can do with it aside from just like telling a different story, which at that point it's a different book or, you know, I guess retreading ground, which... I don't feel like is, again, like what's what's the point of that, right? Um, that's kind of what they're doing with the, the cartoon, right? Whereas with Hellboy, Hellboy is a character that I feel like lends itself to like a more anthological type of storytelling where I feel like you could reboot it, you could not reboot it and just tell new stories and be like, yeah, this happened at some point in Hellboy's career. Um, I think when you have a framing device like that, it's easier to get away with like, we're gonna do an all new interpretation. We're gonna do an all new number one or something like that. Um, whereas, I, I think certain other properties where like it's very based around like moments, right? Like the reveal in Invincible, right? Or like you know some of the other beats in in that story. Um, I feel like that's where it gets less interesting because it's like you are either forced to reinvent the wheel or kind of pigeonhole yourself. And I think that the best like reboots or adaptations or whatever are are not either of those things. It's somewhere in between, right? Where you can tap into what's special about it. Um, you can maybe even revisit things, but you can do it in a new way or you can really meaningfully add to things by, you know, um, taking the character in new directions, right? Like that's every superhero that's been written for forever. Um, if you can boil it down to those you know, core elements and like, what is Hellboy in two or three sentences? I feel like that those are the characters and the properties that lend themselves to that kind of treatment.
0: I think that it doesn't work for stories where the narrative is, is kind of closed, you know, invincible has a closed narrative. Whereas spawn has an open one. The next arc of spawn could take him in a totally different direction. and, it really doesn't necessarily matter who writes it because the, the idea of spawn is bigger than whatever it is that Todd is doing in this particular moment. Whereas something like, uh, let's say, you know, Rick Remender's low is an extremely tight story with a beginning, middle and end. Right. Hellboy has no end. I was, I was thinking of like a joke where you're like, well, it doesn't matter
1: what they do in spawn because Todd dot, dot, dot was, is going to fuck it up anyway. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> and that's his right <laughs> Take on the next one. Oh, Alright uh,
2: yeah so this next one comes from Definitely not Sean Soapbox On episode 260 who wrote in and said Ah yes Superman the non-American Fictitious alien created by two Jewish legends nothing showcases American Christianity better
1: <laughs> once, a, once again not Sean Soapbox just Right on the nose
0: right and, on the Every line. time
1: they ride in it, mm.
0: Spot on Yeah brilliant Absolutely. Definitely not is uh one of my favorite um listeners mm-hmm. by far.
2: <laughs> this next one comes from Harris on Journey into Quistry episode three. Man, this is this is an episode where I would have bombed on everything except for the tomato meter and the last category. This seemed like something Marco would have killed in points. He
3: fucking yeah. watched me do it live. It was <laughs> oh, this one
4: this one was hard. <laughs> Harris flatters me. Uh
5: No, terrible at it.
0: Yeah, this this was this was a difficult one. Um, If you want to, if you tune in, you can watch me draw what they said was a dick, a penis. Yeah, Um, (laughs) what it was, I actually have the drawing right next to me. For some reason, I haven't thrown it out, but it wasn't a penis. It was actually a misplaced stroke of my pen. Stroke Uh is right.
2: Misplaced (laughs) stroke. You know what I'm saying. cha cha.
1: You, you know, if Paul Dano doesn't work in the new the Batman film, I think Tyler is a great you know understudy for the Riddler based on <laughs> how he fucking confuses and trips people up in these games.
5: Yeah.
0: Speaking of which, can we acknowledge now, today, now that that happened a week ago, Kale, <laughs> that you kind of cheated. Excuse me. We're we talking well, about episode one again or did Kale cheat? In no, we're three? talking about episode three. <laughs> and, I, and you know what? I shouldn't even I, 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 that's that's bad framing. You. you thought outside the box. You did something that wasn't <laughs> against the rules, but it wasn't intended to be a to be a legal move where you drew symbols. Oh, come on. Yeah, <laughs> come on. Come on. Even they were Tyler symbols. Said They're it. pictures. They're not. Even Tyler said I it did not write.
3: I did not write words. On, they were pictures. On. I have the picture right here. I'll show you. Wow, Go you
0: ahead. both are
1: just keeping them close by.
0: Yep. So. Look, is that a part of the Swamp Thing character? I don't know. Hmm. Marco, what do you think?
2: Are those words or are those pictures? Or I heart trees? Those are symbols.
0: Yeah. Okay. What's a picture? I don't know, man. I don't feel like that's cheating. Even Tyler said it. I, I mean, Tyler's got to write
2: the rules down, then, bro. Like,
5: <laughs> I, the I think,
2: expert.
3: yeah, I think you're just mad you didn't come up with the game and can't define the rules.
1: Marco, what
3: do you think? Uh, looks like a legal move to me.
1: Oh, interesting. Kale, okay. Kale, he you- said,
2: he said, no letters. You can't write words. I didn't write words kill. You got to mail Marco that drawing so you can add it to his swamp thing oh, yeah, yeah, I need it on, on the wall
0: over here. <laughs> Hang that he's going to be. He's going to be real mad when I do. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to have to have a chat with the person who hosts that game. We're going to have to work some things out.
1: <laughs> it sounds like the second straight or the, the two out of the three games. He screwed you over somehow. Well, yeah.
0: But I didn't. I didn't feel personally screwed over. I just felt like the integrity of the game was, uh, shaky. was shaky.
5: Yeah.
2: All right. Our last comment of the day here comes from Grayson Red on our Nicholas Draper Ivy interview, who wrote in and said, "Great interview, man. Damn, New York Comic Con seems like it was
0: amazing this year." It sure was, Grayson. Uh, it was a very good time. I think the the fact that there were less people allowed it to be a little bit more intimate. And mm-hmm. there were some great creators there. You know, there was a lot of talk about how, oh, it's going to be light this year and, you know, um, all of that. But a lot of really talented people showed up. And I think that from what I was able to gather, they had a lot of really good interactions with uh, with fans. Yeah,
2: I know. Like anecdotally, um, I remember uh, a friend of the show, Plaid Klaus had said that, like, he sold more co- copies of his book on day one than he had in like the previous weekend so hell yeah less people but it seemed like people were more engaged it was easier to stop and look at things and browse and I'm sure that helped creators you know um, be able to uh, pitch their books you know which is great yep
0: you want to talk about spooky
1: yes
0: let's talk about a very spooky time in the history of DC comics the
1: present (laughs) (laughs)
0: well not quite we actually have to go back to uh the time that uh kale was young and raging (laughs) 1850s you see comics was around in
3: 1764 Mm
0: -hmm. almost we're we're going back to uh the olden days of 1970 (laughs) yes Hmm. um where superman asked readers to rap. Uh, okay. What I'm referring to is a survey that DC put out in 1970 <laughs> that features uh, Superman in <laughs> <laughs> Superman in his costume, which for some reason looks like it looks like a massive hoodie. It doesn't even look like <laughs> a, a real Superman costume, but it says let's rap. Here's a chance to tell us what you think about our comics. Tell us about yourself, and we can put out the comics you want. So Superman is, of course, uh, breaking the fourth wall to ask us what kind of comics we want DC to publish. And I think um, I think you guys are going to want to see what one of these. One of these options are i'm gonna go ahead and share my screen yeah so we can all Hell yeah i found uh, the image of superman saying let's
2: rap and wow <laughs> <laughs> i feel like that needs to become a meme format we just remove the second part of it and just put lyrics to rap songs
0: <laughs> look, at his, look at his costume first of all is that does that not look a little too bulky look at the neck area the neck area it looks like he has a hood yeah, it, and he, look, it
3: looks like somebody threw. You know, uh, it looks like somebody threw a, a hoodie just over his shoulders. Yeah yeah.
2: yeah, yeah. Or like you know, like um, those like bathrobes that they have that are like the superhero like insignia, but then they have the little hood on. Like, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah.
4: It's uh, it's uh, which one call it? It's his cape. It's Stephen Strange's cape.
1: Look at that. He's he's like so white that the way he starts any rap is like well my name is superman and i'm here to say <laughs> I'm here in a dc comics way <laughs> <laughs> and so <laughs> don't
3: do drugs and fight the crime
4: <laughs> whoa can we
0: jump to question five here that's why we're doing this bit, <laughs> so as we go in, oh, uh, no. DC's, trying, <laughs> DC's trying to find out Oh boy. what <laughs> kinds of comics uh, <laughs> the readers want. And so Good Flash God. is letting us know that they will be bribing us with a portable color TV set. Ooh. I have a very hard uh. time believing that they're giving away 150 different uh, portable color TVs. I think they're probably giving away one, but... Um, then Superman says, we're drawing the names on September 30th, 1970.
5: Dig. <laughs> you dig. <laughs> wow.
0: Yes, yeah, Superman throwing out of you dig. God, why, um,
2: did, why did Superman doesn't talk like this?
0: <laughs> no, he doesn't. Superman never says, let's rap. Superman doesn't know what rap is. <laughs> Don't have these and- on Krypton. The questions are pretty innocuous. You can tell that this was written directly toward children. One of the question is uh who bought you this comic? Um was it your parents? Was it you? Is me other? one of the
5: options. Yeah. <laughs>
0: uh They're like- so it, it's a pretty it's it's a it's a pretty regular questionnaire. The one question though, the question 5 that's most interesting is How interested are you in reading about pollution, black people, (laughs) space flights, (laughs) national problems, city problems, sports, which Which one? I go
2: to sports, which one? And then there is no place for you to answer that.
5: I don't know what you're
0: supposed to do with that. Hobbies. Which hobbies? Yeah, which one? <laughs> I'm very romance, interested in reading about hobbies.
2: <laughs> Super
0: romance Space? or astrology.
2: For in 1970,
0: hobbies. these were the only things you could possibly talk about.
2: Write <laughs> about a comic.
0: <laughs> yeah, these yeah, were we your should, options. We should go back.
2: We should go back. <laughs> can, can you explain
1: uh, what you mean by that?
3: Yeah, well, I mean, we should narrow the scope of comics. Is what I'm saying. You know no, sports, which
2: okay. one? I I appreciate uh, this. Actually, reminds me of the uh, the interview, the episode where we had Ron V on the show, and Ron was talking about how there's like this this mm-hmm. conventional wisdom mm-hmm. that there's only a few types of stories. Well, this is clear. There's so many more types of stories that are not on that list, right? Oh no! There's you
3: like bet. three. There's like three more on this list than there actually are in <laughs>
2: in you know literature. Man versus man. Hobbies, national <laughs> problems, city problems. You've got
3: your pollution.
2: I, I Man like, versus
3: God, space flights.
2: It's also funny to me that they just—it's black people, but no other kind of person. Like it's just. Yeah.
3: Well, they were just invented, so like you had to. Yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, you guys don't remember, but like
2: it was pretty big. 1969, big year, you know. Nice.
1: Um, yeah, I mean, if I'm. If I'm filling out this checklist, I'm telling you right now, I'm putting it, I'm very interested next to hobbies because there's nothing I want to see more than a flash have a stamp collection.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to check very interested on black people, um, city problems. Yeah. And space flights. Nice. Because I want to see Superman, um, bring black people into space dig as <laughs> test subjects to see what happens when you, <laughs> you know when you go to space so superman's just gonna bring them up they're on a space flight mm. regular
1: jeff bezos
0: and that'll deal with the city problems because now the blacks are gone oh no
2: sean <laughs> fuck mean <laughs> uh thinking in terms of the story you know it's
3: <laughs> two birds those are the questions the readers will ask.
2: <laughs> I, I gotta point out one more thing on this. Uh, on the first one, it's I got this comic at a, and one of them is from a friend,
0: but then in parentheses
2: yeah. it says or enemy.
0: <laughs> so or lover, I'm gonna I'm gonna stop sharing my screen now. If you're watching on YouTube, you got the chance to see this uh, amazing <laughs> survey. I just think it's funny that I feel like a survey like this would. Um, probably yield well we don't know the results of this survey but i can imagine that black people was not chosen as very interested too often and i feel like the survey would have similar results today um it's it's weird to see you know not yourself i'm not black people but i'm a black person (laughs) and it's weird to see that there was a survey asking whether people wanted to know about you know my people um and mind you asking kids Right, like the, this is clearly targeted at kids. You're asking kids if they want to hear about black people. <laughs> <laughs> I it's
2: like, like the, there, there, these kid that like. There's these kids. They're like, you know what? Yeah, I do. I'm interested. Right. What's going on? <laughs> I'm just yeah. sick or of this fucked
3: up little monsters that didn't.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I'm sick of this DC
1: Comics PC culture in 1970. <laughs> it's ruining our society.
5: <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh man, gotta love it dc and their forced inclusivity good thing comics are more diverse today right mm. <laughs> let's get into the palace pools from marco we have swamp thing marco and pete we have swamp thing number nine swamp
4: is the book Ron B. mike perkins uh it's been really really fun so far and the art's been just crushing
2: i'm sorry did you start that out by saying swamp thing is a book <laughs> you sure did. Okay, That's a you know what? Last
1: way of addressing it. This
2: Swamp Thing is the book. Oh, okay. It's the Swamp Thing, and it's the book that I'm yeah. saying you should pick up this week. There you go. Yes. Man. There you go. Right. Stuff. Yeah. No, the book. Swamp Thing is great. We've really been enjoying it. Um, I mentioned earlier we had uh, Ron V on the show um, a while back. We also interviewed Mike Perkins. <clears throat> that was a, a cutout one. So go
0: check those out. Pete shows Radium Black number nine.
2: Yeah, I did. Uh, we talked a little bit about this on our New York Comic-Con episode. We actually had the uh, privilege of getting to read it early. Um, we'll have our interview with Kyle Higgins up this week where he talked a little bit about it. So um, you're going to want to check this one out. <laughs> yeah. If you've yeah. been reading Radiant Black and you've been, you know, on the fence or feeling like maybe things have been moving a little slowly, I think this issue will address a lot of your uh, concerns.
0: Phil chose primordial number two. Yeah, baby.
1: This book is sick. So it is. Uh, it's Jeff Lemire's new book, and it's about like the space race from the early '60s. Uh, it's got a lot of conspiracy. It's got animals in space, and the art is dope. Definitely worth reading.
4: Andrea Sorrentino.
0: Yes.
2: I Gotta yes. tell you what, <clears throat> I don't know what the hell's going on in that book, but it's pretty
0: cool. Fucking awesome <laughs> cool. Yeah. <laughs> shows Chilling Adventures and Sorcery, number one.
3: Guys, I think Archie Horror is back. (laughs) Yes. So this time, Madam Satan is trying to escape hell. And guess who she finds? Archie and the gang. They're in in hell? hell? They're in hell.
5: (laughs) Why (laughs) Why did they go to hell? This is so good.
3: (laughs) Don't they sin? Aren't they sinners? Oh, Archie? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, that's fair, right? Archie. There's in no a, way that asshole is,
0: has the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in his heart. That dude's
2: a little adulterer. Yeah.
0: <laughs> All right. And then you also chose Buckaroo Banzai against the World Crime League. All right. Now,
3: did you guys know there are books? Yo, okay, you know comic books. Slow mm-hmm. down, Poindexter. Take the comic away. No okay. pictures. Ugh. Only I can't words. picture it.
2: No, I hate that. So this book, put out by DC
3: uh, Dark Horse Comics, mind you, is the reason I was able to bring it. Is a direct sequel to the Buckaroo Banzai film uh, from the '80s, uh, The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai Across the Eighth Dimension. Oh
5: yeah.
3: Uh, written by the the man who who wrote that screenplay it's a direct sequel uh, and i'm gonna read the uh, synopsis here a prose adventure as told by the reno kid jeff goldblum yes to <laughs> buckaroo bonsai chronicle em Rausch. this tale follows everyone's favorite scientist surgeon entertainer daredevil as he sets off on a brand new hair-raising adventure
1: oh, i love jeff goldblum
3: phil have you seen buckaroo bonsai
1: no, it's one it's like a movie that's been on my checklist for years. Oh man, I think you would like it a lot.
5: Yeah.
3: It's one of those 80s just crazy uh sci-fi adventures of like a guy who just does everything because why the fuck not?
1: Yeah, I've heard it's a lot of fun. I would love to watch that movie. Yeah.
3: Yeah, it's incredible. It it was the the film uh that Jeff Goldblum came from. It was like his title, right? His, his premiere film. And he does absolutely nothing.
1: Well, of course, he was in Earth Girls Are Easy. After that, which is another one, it's yeah. a lot of fun. But
0: All right,
5: yeah,
1: good
0: choice. Marco and I chose Human Target Number One. Yes, Tom
4: King. Um, I'm here for another Tom King joint. Rorschach was fucking good. Let's let's get it, Tom King. I'm um, I'm back on the on the train for him, uh, and I'm ready for this book. Greg so- Smallwood really fucking good the tom train the tom train
0: i think rorschach passed a lot of people by Mm -hmm. it came out at a time where there wasn't a lot of confidence in uh tom Mm. but human target now i think the wave is back in tom's favor so i think human target will bring a lot of people back in who were not so sure about him um i'm sure that this is going to be something to Something to see for sure. I I think this is going to be exciting. So I'm looking forward to it. He always gets the artists
4: and Greg Smallwood is is definitely one of those big, just
0: good ass artists. You know what excited a lot of people this week was the news that Brendan Fraser will play the villain in the Batgirl HBO Max movie. Now, do we all know who the villain is? Does anyone not know who he's playing? I do not. Yeah, I don't know either. Is it Batman? (laughs) Whoa. (laughs) Do you know Phil? No, I don't. I love that. (laughs) Fuck. Why don't you guys go ahead and guess? I know who it is, so
1: I'm not going to say. Yeah. Yeah. Um,
4: Brendan Fraser?
1: Is he like uh, the Mad Hatter or something? Oh, that's good. That's That's a solid guess. That is
2: very good. Thank you. Um, He's not. Okay. Is there, Great a, guess, is there a mummy villain? No. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know. I can't I don't really like I don't have a good gut answer for who I see him as. Is it somebody weird or is it like an obvious choice? I don't think it's obvious at all.
1: Okay. Oh uh, man, it must be like a C list Batman villain then. That's uh, probably there, is, fair to say.
3: there but, is someone I think he would do very well as, but it's not this
4: character.
1: Mothman? Oh, so, damn. Or, or Killer Moth, that's his name, excuse me.
4: That's a great pull.
0: No? Kite Man. Oh, Kite <laughs> Man? Man Bat? Great. I don't know.
5: <laughs>
0: uh, no, it's, it's Firefly. Mm. Oh.
2: Yeah. Oh, okay. Oh. I have definitely heard of that character before. <laughs> on, that, on, on, that same,
3: series. on that same line of uh, thinking, I was saying he'd do a great
2: Clayface. Oh, oh. Yeah, okay. No, sure. Fuck yeah. yeah, he would be a right? good Clayface. Damn, that's and a great
1: villain! I can't believe he hasn't been in a movie make yet.
2: Make him sympathetic. Make him a good guy. Then <laughs> Firefly and, and Clayface have very
3: similar, um, I guess, industry backgrounds.
4: Firefly Clayface feels underwhelming, though. As or like, a this villain,
0: particular movie or in general,
4: as, like as a as like a major villain, as like to be the baddie.
0: Firefly. Yeah, the old, the
1: This
0: is this is a an HBO Max movie. Yeah, starring Batgirl, you know. Mm. Um, I think that it's pretty clear, and I've been saying this since the movie was announced. It's pretty clear to me that, um, this is a secondary thing in the mind of, yeah. you know, Warner, Warner Brothers, DC, whatever. In fact, um, this week, uh, they were Ann Sarnoff, she's the CEO of Warner Brothers, and she was saying how you know, they're doing away with the day and date HBO Max thing in 2022. So sticking to their promise of it being one year. And they said, you know, she said um, that it should surprise no one that the movies that are going to be released in theaters are the ones that they have confidence in. Why you Hmm. would say something like that as the CEO of a company, I really don't know. (laughs) But what that told me is, you know, any movie that's not coming out in theaters is a movie you don't believe in yeah
2: yeah i mean not to not to disagree with that i guess to play devil's advocate in terms of like hoping for there being it still being quality is i guess there's always the hope right that like the projects that have less attention and less you know um hands in the pot sometimes get a little bit more freedom and can sometimes rise above those limitations um so hopefully it's still good but that doesn't that doesn't feel great. Well, I, think, I mean,
5: yeah, th-
1: there's a difference between like movies that the studio is banking a lot of financial interest in. Like, Doom yeah. just came out. That's a movie that Warner Brothers is going to want to do well financially, right? There's other movies like that where studios put a lot of their pot, like their, you know, they're gambling, they're they're all in on. But there's going to be other movies that could be really good, but they just don't think has the public it, public's interest that they're just putting HBO Max, but those movies could be excellent as well. It's just not a lot of attention on it.
0: They can. I was referring just to, you know, the fact that I feel like everything about the announcements of uh, surrounding this movie shows a lack of confidence. Sure. Um, That's crazy. That sucks. As a As a fan of the character, it sucks that you know, that's how they feel about it. And then also, you know, we can't ignore the reality of budgets. If a movie is coming yes. out on HBO Max, then it's going to have a lower budget than a movie that's coming out in theaters because there's different expectations. Sure. So, you know, that's not great. And um, I, I hope for the best. Um, Leslie Grace is playing Batgirl. Um, you know, the theme of this episode is certainly diversity. And I think it's funny that you know, they're making this play um, by having a background movie and then also making the person playing the character, uh, a Spanish woman, that all of that is happening where the CEO and chairman has said they don't care as much about.
2: Yeah. 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 Which I mean, that that sucks. Um, I I will say, though, I guess I the lower budget thing is like not inherently problematic. Like, Mm. I like it's, it really depends.
4: It's not, but then like you see, you look at like the first season of, um, uh, what's it called? Doom patrol. And Mm. like some of that wasn't super tight. The, the props looked okay. And, and like to Sean's point, if they're not putting, if they don't have confidence in it, why spend the money to like, like, why put the money forward there? And that's probably going to be like a, a lower quality product from that standpoint. I think the writing and the acting, you know, that, that's a different story because they have some pretty good people. But uh, if, if you want to make like a visual background movie, I don't think that that's going to be the priority.
2: Well, yeah. And to Play Devil's advocate to that, though, right? Um, and like, I don't necessarily disagree with anything that you're saying, but I think just for the sake of furthering the conversation, right? Like Doom Patrol was a season of television. That's like, you know, each episode's how long? hour Uh, hour right so it's it's like 40 45 minutes of actual stuff so that's you know what 10 episodes in that season you have to stretch that budget a lot farther than you do for a two hour movie that's fair um and and like not to say that like there's not gonna be a quality differential like you know obviously more money means more you know you have more ability to do crazy stuff but like you know, we've seen um, superhero movies that were made on a tighter budget, like, do well and still be visually engaging. Um, Like, you know, some of the experimentations with, like, R-rated stuff and, you know, like, sometimes a limited budget like, doesn't always lead to inferior quality as much as it is just, like, it forces you to be more creative, you know, in certain ways. It depends on the savvy filmmaking stuff.
1: Like, a good director can get a lot out of a smaller budget but
2: again depends
1: on the, the vision of a director yeah um i can't really understate this enough it really is exciting to see uh, uh brandon brendan Fraser back because you know he's he's been missing for a long time and mm. um you know a few years ago he alleged sexual assault from like a a, a president of the hollywood foreign film association or whatever
5: yeah, yeah.
1: and like After that he got divorced and his mom died and he was like in a severe depression. Yeah. And like, he just disappeared from Hollywood for like a decade plus. So uh, it really is exciting to see him back and he's been through a lot of shit and uh, he's a fun actor.
4: Yeah. 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 I, I, I think the, the one other thing here is the fact that Brendan Fraser is attached to this gives me hope because of how he's been doing on doom patrol and like that sort of connection, and they've seen their budget increase uh, per season. So ideally, you know, his weight coming into it, um, maybe they'll be able to put a bit more uh, care into that because he's attached and they want to kind of, you know, not keep him happy, but they want to they wanna keep some of the, the quality that they've brought along with Brendan to this.
2: J.K. Simmons is coming back as well as Commissioner Gordon, which is, yeah. that's cool, he's great, you know. I don't know. There's there there's a chance this will come together. I think um, we'll have to see though. I, I hadn't. Good. I, I was What's gonna say? say I hadn't heard of the directing team before. Um, it's Adil Al-Arabi and then uh, Bilal Fala. Uh, they're like a team, and they've worked on. Um, they did Bad Boys for Life in 2020. Uh, yes. They're working on the Miss Marvel show. Um, they're like oh. their EPs on that, and they did. They directed two episodes of that. Um,
0: so I don't know. Yeah. Who knows? Okay. Yeah. None of that gives me confidence. In fact, all of that is everything together is what gives me a lack of confidence because I don't know about you guys, but I saw bad boys. I love the bad boys, but boy, was that not uh, their best outing? <laughs> yeah. I heard that's a terrible movie. <laughs> hmm. So as, as soon as I saw the director announcement, which was like earlier in the year, I was like, yep, this movie's dead. Uh, but uh I guess I'm a little bit of a harsher critic. Let's talk about uh, razor blades. It's one of my favorite. uh, Keep them under your tongue. Yeah. Yeah, Stick them in an apple candy
2: or in candy. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Look, anybody who Uh, takes an apple on Halloween, you deserve to get it. You know, (laughs) (laughs) that's on you. (laughs) Why would you take fruit? somebody gives you fruit, you throw that shit back at them.
0: (laughs) Or you could put them in your comics, oh. which is what Image is doing uh this year. They're gonna be putting out oh. uh, James Tinian's Razor Blades, Damn. which is the horror mag well, it's coming out next year, but it's it's the horror magazine that uh James Tinian has been putting out. Um it's 70 to 80 pages each issue yeah, which is yeah. pretty awesome yeah it, oh, is. Cool. Shit. yeah it is yeah that's that's really cool um and this was something that we talked about when it was first announced but of course it was a digital initiative and um I didn't have access to it and I don't know I don't even know where to get it so um it just wasn't something that we checked out at least I know I didn't I think kill you would, you yeah. would get it, right? yeah I'm a big fan they're great uh, Razor Blades
3: is a tremendous horror anthology magazine. Um, there's a, I mean, I haven't re- read one in a while. I think the last one came out in July. I don't know. Um, but it's great. Yeah. I'm thrilled for this to get a physical copy on my shelf. Are you pulling our leg again? <laughs> Not okay. about this. I would never. I do have one for you though no no, no. <laughs> <laughs> there was
0: already one trick this episode on your part um so unless you have a treat for us i'm not interested
3: so sean said image is putting out james tinian's razor blades and i went well yeah the dude's got that great big beard he's not using them
1: that's right, <laughs> All
0: right. that's right <laughs> Okay. So, James (laughs) Finian said, "I am also extremely excited." By the way, uh, out of quotes, this is from his Substack. So, Hmm. apparently, now the place you go to get announcements from these creators um, is Substack. As if you need to be subscribed to read about this, I'm on Bleeding Cool, and they're doing uh, an article. I'm sure everyone's doing it um but yeah so james says i am also extremely excited to announce that the whole first volume of razor blades the horror magazine is going to be collected in a deluxe hardcover edition that will be released by image comics in april of next year the press release announcing that should be going out more or less at the same time as this post (laughs) we are extraordinarily proud of what we've been able to build in the self-published space over the last year and a half and we're very excited to have a testament to all of the work by all of these stunning creators to live on the shelves for posterity featuring the amazing cover to razor blades the horror magazine yeah. number three by david romero if you missed out on razor blades the horror magazine over the last year and don't want to wait until april to catch up all five issues are available now in digital form pay what you want every issue is 70 to 80 pages of original horror illustrations prose and nonfiction. we're proud of it all that's great. The cover to issue five is absolutely horrifying and disgusting. It's so good. Yeah, it's that so fucking is... gnarly.
2: When uh if you heard me when we first started this, I was like, oh, like that was what I was looking at.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's really nasty. Some um, gingy Edo shit. Yeah, I yeah. was gonna
2: say Gef definitely has heavy Edo vibes.
0: I wanna I wanna quickly uh show the show the listeners sure, sure. who are who are watching on YouTube anyway what nastiness we're talking about brace yourself (laughs) Uh, if you're you're you can see this disgusting image of a family uh, who sat down to have a meal in their living room or I I don't know where they're at I mean there's a crib they're eating next to the crib I don't get that but um, yeah they have disgusting multicolored tentacles coming out of every visible orifice in their body looks like silly string and they're crying too yeah. yeah if you had silly coming out of your eyes no,
2: i know it's just throat it's more unsettling uh it's bad it's even the cats too like that's everything. What, yeah
0: that's what i was gonna say the most horrifying one is definitely the cats
1: i think this is wholesome look at them they're a family they're eating together <laughs> this is true adam's family values
5: <laughs> mm.
0: sure all right well uh that's disgusting, but uh I'm actually really excited for this. I'm I'm excited for um Razor Blades. I was excited for it before. Now that it's coming out in physical, I'm definitely gonna read it. I kinda wish it was out now though. Like physically. for Halloween, yeah. Yeah. What's the what's the date on it? It's coming out in April. The, oh geez, I'm never gonna remember that.
4: Be April twenty bookstores on May 3rd. This is actually something that I'm gonna pick up physically. I I wanna yeah, see this same. shit like in that bigger format if it's a magazine size that'll be nice
2: yeah this is cool um i think that like this this as a thing like i think speaks to um and not that this was like a part of his sub stack but like just this kind of as a strategy right of like we're gonna do the digital first thing we're gonna find ways for the folks that want to do digital and be up to date and be right there the second it comes out can keep up with it, and then we go through the more traditional channels when things are collected, when it's a little bit easier to get them out. And, you know, um, it, it it seems like a really smart way to do releases because you can release a book like this and have it have buzz and have Kale's like, oh, yeah, I've read it. You should get this, right? Like, And I don't know. like It, it seems like a smart move um, to kind of be able to find ways to deliver your work to as wide an audience as possible wherever they want to meet you, you know?
5: Mm-hmm. Hmm.
0: Yeah, definitely. Uh, it's, it's, it's going to be great. And it has interviews with um, creators like Scott Snyder and others. There's pros. It seems like it's a real to do. So you're probably going to get your money's worth real bang course. for your buck. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Kind of reminds me of like, um,
2: uh, Wave Blue World does that right, where they they really try to like ahoy ahoy yeah sorry um, really like to try to include like those extra bits of prose and there's like games right. and there's yeah, yeah. you know like all these things that make it you know feel like more of um, an event I guess when you pull it
4: like a value like more of a value for yeah. your comic
2: almost more like a
0: traditional magazine you know mm-hmm. which is is cool it's it's different you know well legendary is trying to get. Uh, a whole lot of bang for their buck as they have launched a Kickstarter for their film, Dune. So I'm not sure if you guys know this or how many people know this. We've talked about it here before, but uh, legendary pictures has a comic book arm and that comic book arm, legendary comics has a Kickstarter going right now for a graphic novel adaptation of doom. The movie.
2: Okay. Dan, currently, bleeding cool needs to fix this link. <laughs> Sorry, there's a period in it, so the link goes to a dead 404 page. <laughs> really? Yeah, the, it's still up, but like, <laughs> I went through the bleeding cool links to get on the page, and they they need to fix that URL. <laughs>
0: um, so currently it has 812 backers who have pledged 86,820. $8. Wow, Damn, that's um, no, a lot of no. money. Uh, out of a $10,000 goal. <laughs> that's I insane. Why,
1: <laughs> I don't know why I thought, oh, $812. Jeez. <laughs> uh, if I'm not mistaken, I think his son, Frank Herbert, who originally wrote Dune, I believe his son is working on the graphic novelization that's it's, yeah, being kickstarted by Legendary. Uh, I haven't heard much about the quality or anything about this book. I've seen it on bookshelves and stuff, though. Like I've seen it being sold um
4: well those are those are like ancillary stories oh, okay. um this is like of the actual movie those okay. are like different like house of atreides stories yeah. and stuff
1: gotcha got it
4: someone in the discord actually mentioned like asked if anybody had been reading it um it, lo- it looks pretty interesting i might I, I might go back and pick some up
1: i finally saw the movie yesterday and it kicked ass it was terrific hell yeah yeah
0: glad you liked it So a lot of people are really angry about this, Oh, as you guys will recall, um, Keanu Reeves, when they did the Berserker uh, Kickstarter, that caused a lot of creators to be in an uproar about the fact that, you know, uh, this major comic book company was using Kickstarter, which is for, according to them, for independent creators to get their books out that they were sucking all the air out of the room. Of course, we know that that did not happen, but that was the uh, that was the claim. So that same claim is being made now, except I have even seen some people going as far as to place culpability on Kickstarter itself for allowing this. How? Who gives a shit? Yeah, that's ridiculous. I'm sorry. Like, you know,
2: I... I made a similar point during the Berserker conversation, but I just think that's insane. Like in what universe is it Kickstarter's responsibility to be like, sorry, you're not allowed to use our platform because you're too big. Like that's not, that's never been the elevator pitch for Kickstarter, right? It's never been you, the indie creator can use this to get your, it's, it's you, you put a project out there and if people want to back it, they back it. That's the platform. Like, that's insane. That's insane that you would argue. Like, yeah, what do you think? They hate money? Like, they, they're going to make thousands of dollars off of this. Like, I'm sorry. That's that's what Kickstarter wants is to have successful Kickstarters. They don't care who they're from.
1: Realistically, too, if, if they did kind of start borrowing bigger names or, or bigger publishers or what have you, um, it would really affect their service. I think it would draw less eyes Two kicks right if, if these if these bigger IPs names, whatever, weren't using that service anymore. I think that's a natural gra- naturally something for someone to be gravitated to, you know? Definitely. Yeah,
4: but yeah. like you're not going like presumably you're not if you're more casual reader, if you're you just saw the movie and you're like, oh cool, they have this comic thing. Like you're already not somebody who's uh initially gonna look for an indie creator. But once you're on the platform, they have recommendations. They have things to start, start, start to point you into different directions so that you can continue to support other creators in the platform. And if this is big enough, then bring people in. What's the issue with bringing people in to spend, uh, to spend their money on this? And ideally some subset of that is going to spill out into other creators.
0: I think it's. Oh, yeah. go, ahead, John. go ahead, Go ahead. I was gonna say, let's say that none of that happens, right? Let's say there's no spillover, and it's just the only people who interact with this Kickstarter are people who specifically care about Dune and nothing else. That still doesn't impact comic creators hmm. because if the people are here for Dune, they were never here for you in the first place, right? right? What you hope. Is that people say, like Marco said, go and support something else because they start browsing the site or what have you. But most people, I would argue, who are on this are here because they like the movie or they like the book, Dune, and they want to get more. And I think there's a fundamental lack of understanding about what Kickstarter is. So from the perspective of somebody who is an indie comic creator or an indie Music, um, musician, or anything like that, Kickstarter is your lifeline. For you, Kickstarter is the only way that you can produce this book or this movie or this, you know, whatever it is. And you need people to support you because otherwise it's not going to happen. But the other aspect of Kickstarter is that it allows you to get more for your money. If you are a fan of Doom and you want this graphic novel, you could easily wait until it's in stores. And you'll get it. But if you do the Kickstarter, what what that means is that they're going to be able to give you more add-ons and things like that once the project is inevitably successful. All the stretch goals will be unlocked and you will be a benefactor of that in a way that you won't be if you buy it from the store. And so this is what Legendary Comics said in their um, – basically, they had to respond to the criticism because people were not – clear on how they could make the movie but not afford to make the comic book so this is what legendary said the graphic novel is certainly being released into retail but campaigns like these are the only way we can give back extras to the fans like the free stretch goals or many of the other items that will be made in very limited supply and are exclusive to this campaign or be able to offer this many variant covers we hope you find some stuff you like Most of the items in this campaign are exclusive to the Kickstarter and take time to produce. Without knowing final order numbers, which we won't have until the surveys are complete, it's not possible to go into production. Following what in most cases is a 30-day production schedule, we're allowing another 60 days to get everything to the warehouses, given the current supply chain prices, and then additional time to get the packages out to you, given the delays in shipping that have been happening. It's possible we'll be ahead of schedule, but we want to properly set expectations for how doing it take for how long it takes to create the premium products we're offering here and get them to you. What's the problem with that? There isn't one. I mean, that's the thing, right? Is like,
2: And I, I think that this extends out beyond comics like you've seen this kind of criticism of other kickstarter projects from people who are you know already looked at as successful or whatever and i just i don't know like i i feel like it comes back to uh for me anyway right it's you speak with your wallet like do you want this book no then don't back the kickstarter it's literally that simple like i think marco made the point earlier and, and I know you did as well, Sean. I don't think that it makes sense for you to compare this to regular Kickstarter comics. Like, the person that goes and backs a special edition of a movie adaptation into a comic book is not the same person that's browsing comics projects on Kickstarter to be like, I want to find the next indie book I'm going to support. Like, they're not the same person. Like I would bet you, a lot of people who back this will buy this, put it on a shelf, and never actually read it. Sure. Because it's a collector's item.
4: And I think one other one of the piece there is, for those people that actually do read it, and maybe they aren't comics readers. I think the one thing that it does do is also just introduce people to new people to the medium. Yep. And at at, at the bare minimum, that's something that does affect creators outside of uh, outside of this NFX creators that just work in the industry because you get people who are like, oh, this is a comic. I get it. Maybe I want more.
2: Yeah. And like not for nothing too, right? Like everybody who works on this book gets a paycheck. and That's not a bad thing. Yeah. And like Legendary <laughs> as a publisher makes a bunch of money. Guess what? They're going to do this again and make more books and give more people jobs. Like, you know, it's like uh, comics are an industry, man like it is what it is you're not thinking about the Fremen though Pete they are an (laughs) oppressed
1: people on Arrakis and clearly legendaries (laughs) making them uh, mine the the, the spice on Arrakis to make these books and they're not getting any of the proceeds so you're no better than the Harkonnen frankly I mean you know what man
2: like
5: uh,
2: labor laws are for earth you know I don't know
0: (laughs) Kale, you haven't spoken. I'm sure you disagree with the general feelings here.
3: Yeah, I'm. I don't know. I guess I'm of two minds. I, I guess I don't necessarily agree that Kickstarter should be used by big companies. But like, if they're gonna and Kickstarter's gonna let them, know what the fuck? I don't you, think Kale, you,
0: you think Kickstarter shouldn't let them?
3: I mean, it's Kickstarter. If if they want, you know, it's like Pete said. If they if they if they're going after the money, then. Okay. Whatever. Right. I don't give a shit. Okay. I'm old and tired. I don't
5: have <laughs> no, I don't give a shit about Dune. I don't
3: give a shit about Kiana Reeves. I can't you want?
0: tell you how good of a podcaster you are. <laughs> there are five of us. Why do you want my opinion? Want because it's to, this is different. Is <laughs> well
3: that that was my opinion.
0: <laughs> Jesus Christ.
1: <laughs> Keeps pulling our legs. <laughs>
0: leave us a comment if you back this kickstarter let's talk about eternals eternals is dropping next friday and um it's got it's already got the distinction unfortunately it is a negative one of being the worst rated marvel studios movie on rotten tomatoes ever really Ever. Here we now, go. Now you want to
3: talk about something I care about. Let's go. Phase <laughs> four, baby. <laughs> Grime,
0: Grime Marvel into the dirt. Let's see it.
1: I don't Fuck think yeah. you're going to like where this is going.
0: So it, it currently has a 60% tomato meter score, making it rot. It has that, a worse score than for the dark world. Wow. That's, Guys, so that's bad. too high. <laughs> oh, you have you seen it? No, <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> but knowing critics, it's too high. It's too high.
1: I think it's nine points too low, frankly.
0: <laughs> well done. That nine is points. out of 120 reviews, and no fans have been able to review it yet because it's not out. So, um, that is where we stand. It'll it'll fluctuate, I'm sure. I have a feeling that the audience score will be higher. Um, because I do think that there are, are a lot of people who there are a lot of people who are invested in liking this movie. Um I, because of the representation aspects of it. Oh oh okay. I, the
1: I, I saw a thing on Twitter the other day and I maybe it was like Metacritic or something where people are like review bombing this though because of the representation
0: aspect. It's impossible. Well at like, least the, on Rotten Tomatoes.
1: Yeah, right, right, right. Um, But that that might be something that affects the tomato score because yeah,
0: folks get riled up about stuff like that. The the audience score, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, sure, it it can just as easily go the other way.
4: But but that doesn't explain like the critic score. Like, are they mad because? But Tony Brown folk, like I don't. No, I think they
0: think the movie's bad.
2: Yeah, I mean that's the thing, right? Like that can be a thing, right? Like you can be a racist, uh, you know, reviewer, but like I you wouldn't, I don't know. I have a hard time thinking that this is like just that.
0: Right. Yeah. We, we can also just read the reviews, right? Like I have read not every, obviously not every review, but I've read a couple and there's consistency. Like there are clear problems with this movie that I, I, like, I don't feel like, you know, legitimate websites are going to publish someone's racist rant.
1: Yeah. Um, I, I gotta tell you, so I I saw doing yesterday, and in in the um, in the trailers before the movie, the Eternals trailer came on. It's the first time I've seen it on a big screen. You yeah, know, I've seen it on, on like my phone or whatever, and I just felt nothing for it. I really like feel nothing for this movie. It doesn't even totally feel like a Marvel movie. It it, it feels almost like a, um, you know, those movies are adapted from like novels that are intended for for like teenagers or whatever. Uh, I can't think of any off the top of my head, like Etragon or something. Like it kind of had that vibe to. <laughs> you mean Aragon Etragon? is the rhyming demon.
5: <laughs>
1: oh. <laughs> um, and maybe that's you know that's just a feeling. I'm speaking on intuition here, but there's other things too. I, I remember seeing some of the quotes of of Chloe Zhao talking about it, and she says things like. Uh, she's inspired by 2001: A Space Odyssey and other Stanley Kubrick movies. And, like talks about channeling that in her cinematography, and like something about people saying that always comes off as a red flag. Where it's like, ooh, I don't know, ooh. oh, yeah, that that means I'm gonna hate this movie. I love I love Stanley Kubrick movies. Don't get me wrong. 2001: A Space Odyssey is a classic. Whenever people talk no, about sucks. their filmmaking being inspired by things like that it always feels like uh, you think very highly of this movie in a pretentious way but you're somehow there's there's a huge disconnect to me
5: huh.
0: yeah the one word I've seen a lot is dull um, and you know I expressed concern all throughout uh, the ramp up and the build up to this movie And I really got around to, like, being excited about it when we did the book club because I was like, oh, man, you know, if there are elements from this comic in the movie, then that's great. Um, It just it seems like um, they tried to do something really different. And I wonder how audiences are going to take to that, because clearly critics as of right now they feel like it's not good, like it's just not a good movie. I don't think critics are likely to bash the movie for what it's not in the sense that it's not more like a Marvel movie. I don't feel like critics are generally great to Marvel movies anyway. Um, so if it's not that, then I'm really, really interested in what it is that's so you know, bad about the movie.
1: It's interesting. Oh, you know Marvel movies have there there is a, a a contrarian aspect of the way people talk about Marvel movies for sure but like when you go on Rotten Tomatoes and you look at the tomatometer from critics most Marvel movies are between like 70 and 100% like most Marvel movies are you know uh fresh on Rotten yeah. Tomatoes yeah yeah um i could see a world where if this movie does deviate from the house style as Pete likes to call it that, that does confuse and frustrate critics.
2: It's interesting because I'm, I'm like going through the like pull quotes for all the reviews and like, I don't know, it's it's interesting. Like people definitely feel like split because there's like a, there's definitely things like here um, like this one comes from the ABC News critic. Uh, Peter Travers, he said, a Marvel epic that values personal connections over spectacle. Sorry, adrenaline junkies, but that's what Oscar-winning indie director Chloe Zhao brings to her first blockbuster. The result is uneven but memorably inclusive and unique. And then it's like similar vein here, right? It's like, takes a special... This is from the San Francisco Chronicle. It uh, takes a special kind of movie anti-magic to make an entire audience indifferent to the potential destruction of the planet. So it's like, it sounds like it is juggling some of those like trope big things like, oh, the planet's going to get destroyed, but it also feels like it's trying to askew those things. And I wonder if it ends up feeling middling because it's not enough in either direction. It's not conventional enough to appeal to the people that want the conventional formula. And it's not far enough away from the formula to like be a meaningful change. I wonder.
0: I'll tell you what frustrates me about, the positive review that you just read from the the poll quote, and you see it in almost all of the positive reviews. I don't want inclusivity to be a a point in its favor. Mm. If the movie's good, it's good. And inclusivity can be the cherry on top of that. Like it's great and it's diverse or it's great. You know, I don't want movies that are just pandering, and this this gives me that vibe, and I've had that vibe, to be honest, since they've announced the cast, and here's a quote, since we're, we're pulling, Pop Matters, representation should be the headline grabber for Eternals, but instead, the conversation around the film will likely focus on how much of a disappointment it is, gotta make a good movie first. gotta make a good movie first
2: yeah and sure like fair enough I think to pull another one that doesn't touch on that right this one's from NPR film pushes back against the usual complaints offered up by those who harbor a performative disdain for Marvel's cinematic output so like there are people who are saying like oh like people won't like this um or like it 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 checks all those boxes that people are saying like Marvel movies don't you know Um, but I don't know doesn't doesn't seem like a lot of people feel that way
1: you know, the thing with um, the people who really don't like Marvel movies, I don't think there's Marvel. I don't think there's anything that Marvel or Disney can do to make people like Marvel movies, even if they make them um, like objectively better movies from a thematic and plot and structure standpoint. I just don't think there's any way of winning that the, the audience that you don't already have.
5: But
4: I don't think that this is that I don't think these reviewers are coming out with that mentality necessarily. I think it is to Sean's point of like, if the movie is good, then it doesn't necessarily matter. Like, you could you could be the biggest anti Marvel fan, but... You go, you know what? It's a good movie. I don't like Marvel, but like
2: I think that's the thing though. I think Phil's point is that there are a lot of reviewers that don't think that way. Like I I I and like I've interacted with people that have that attitude about Marvel movies, right? Where it's just like they inherently write them off because of what they are. Um and are not willing to engage with them as an actual movie because they go into it with like an already a cynical attitude, right? Of like and then anything that you know, um affirms that bias is what they will then point to as, well, oh, this is the reasons why this is bad versus I don't like it, you know, or I'm over sure. it, you know, um, which is fine. you you don't have to like it or or you could be sick of it. That's a totally legitimate opinion. um, but i th- I think that the the argument that Phil's making that there are a lot of people who kind of like, I think review media in bad faith. I definitely believe that and I think that it's particularly prevalent in, in movies. I think there are a lot of film reviews that are written by people who are like capital MP movie people and resent where Hollywood is right now in terms of its focus on these big blockbuster movies that you know, Okay. Don't but speak is this to them. that? I don't know. I haven't seen the movie.
0: Do you think that this is where that, that is where the reviewers are coming from?
2: I mean no. I I have a hard time thinking that it's just that because 60 is low. You know, that's like a low score. Um so I I I don't know cuz th- some things like that are going to like your bullshit detectors are going to go off at different levels for different folks, right? So like I don't know, there might be a large segment of the audience that like you said, Sean, right? I would imagine the audience score will be higher than this. Um but how much higher? I don't know. Like, I don't,
1: maybe not. I mean, if this movie's trying to be something that Marvel doesn't usually make that, I feel like there's no audience for that. You know, it's trying to put it's, uh, it's trying to dip its fingers in two different
2: pies.
5: Mm.
2: And I mean, maybe look at if WandaVision though. Well, what about WandaVision? It was different and people responded to that.
1: Yeah. But it wasn't trying to be like, uh, this, 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 you call it like a capital M movie type thing. It yeah. wasn't trying to be that. If this movie's That's trying true. to be that, it's it's those are totally two separate circles in a Venn diagram, I feel like. There is no overlap. Yep. Mm. Yeah, I think you're probably right. I,
3: I think too, like of the reviews you guys read, mostly the the mostly the reviews were fairly even keeled on complimentary and negative. You know, they yeah. both had positive and negative elements of, you know, so, I, yeah, I mean, to answer Sean's question toward Pete, like, I don't think so. I mean, I'm sure you'll find that, but it just sounds like a shitty movie.
2: Yeah, the folks that didn't like it don't <laughs> feel like they're coming at it with vitriol. It's more like, oh, yeah, this doesn't come together. You know, like it's it's less than the sum of its parts.
1: And that brings me back to my original point, which is most Marvel movies are critically well received. Yeah. At the end of the day, they are. And um, the fact that this one isn't and a lot of the commentaries around it being, you know, there's a, there's an air of pretense in it. You know, I think, like I said, there's there, that's a disconnect and I think that's going to confuse audiences.
0: Yeah. uh, I'm, I'm very interested in what audiences are going to think. I'm interested in what we're going to think. And that's why we're going to do a review of this film. So you'll be able to hear our thoughts about it uh, next week. It's uh, it's a bummer.
2: Cause... Is this the MCU's last Jedi moment? Is this they're going to like pull the plane up? The Eternals don't exist. We were
0: kidding. <laughs> Someone, one of the reviewers said that they felt when the lights went up, they felt this was the MCU's jump the shark moment. Oh, that is. Huh. Um, wow. That's a that's incredible. very harsh yeah. statement. And I don't. It's, it's almost impossible that that's actually true, mm. but if it made this person feel that way, um, that's not a great sign. There yeah. was a what, oh, uh, sorry, just to, before we move on
3: to that, past that quote, uh, can you say who that was or just what organization? Yeah, like, can, uh, you know, Because if there. that was somebody like an NPR or something, I'm going to.
1: Well, well, Sean looks that up. I, I remember there was a Twitter thread a couple of weeks ago of uh, people kind of Uh, taking pictures of people's tweets uh, that are uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe fans, seeing Jack Kirby's art of Celestials and being like, what the fuck is this? This is so cartoony and dumb. Mm
5: -hmm. And we
1: know that they're in this movie. We've seen them in the trailer. Uh, I could see just from a concept standpoint, people thinking this is jumping the shark.
2: Yeah, I did see one of the negative reviews was basically saying that um it was like very like the, i'm a pretentious movie bro um because they were literally you, you made the comment about kubrick and it's literally like they say oh well kubrick and this other i forget who the other director they listed was um you know take the opportunity of like transhuman like experimentation blah 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 like this d- you know steeps it in this like very comic booky like pop mythology and it's like right it's marvel <laughs> yes that's, exactly yeah that's the thing
0: <laughs> that's the that's what we're doing <laughs> not a stanley Kubrick movie yeah it was by the way kale it was just it was a, a movie guy.com so you know oh, okay. who knows what that is yeah indie reviewer i guess yeah so uh the jury is not yet out on eternals obviously these reviewers don't make up the they they don't you know the conversation about this film doesn't begin and end with them right Uh, because it begins and ends with us and that's why and that's why the jury's still out exactly thank you marco so yeah our conversation about eternals will continue next week but uh i do want to talk about iron fist well actually i don't want to talk about iron fist but we have to (laughs) but here we are (laughs) Yeah. because jones no 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 i don't want to talk about iron fist i'll never again talk about finn jones i actually forgot his name and i was glad i did so (laughs) thanks a lot phil Yep. uh so iron fist recently gave up danny rand i should say recently gave up the mantle of iron fist decided he was iron fist no more um and that's they, they even put out a, a teaser which kind of apes the Spider-Man, oh, Spider-Man. no more. Yeah. He's good. Um Iron Fist Heart of the Dragon was a mini-series that um that just wrapped up uh and in it Danny is powerless and says, you know what, I'm just not gonna be doing this anymore. Uh so almost immediately the teasers began about you know what's next for iron fist and we now know quite a bit um so we know that the new iron fist series uh will start in February of 2022 of course um and we've got the image we've got the image of the actual character looks pretty cool I'm not gonna lie um the cover is hot uh, and we have the creative team. Uh, we know that Alyssa Wong and I'm trying to find the artist. Um, but we, we know the creative team. There were people who were definitely excited by, uh, by this team and by the possibility of there being a new Iron Fist.
4: Uh, it's um, Michael YG.
0: Thank you. Yeah. Colors Jay Ramos. So I feel that there is a slight problem with this. Why? Why? Oh, boy. (laughs) So there is no chance that the character under the mask is not Asian, right?
5: Mm hmm.
2: Yeah, I I would think so. That's kind of like the the that's like the angle that this article is taking
0: as well, right? Right. So what happens when it's time for Danny Rand to be Iron Fist again.
4: Got to punch out a dude. Take the mantle back. Hmm.
3: So, okay. Interesting. Walk walk with me here, Marco. Okay. So the way Iron Fist gets his powers is he has to become the best fighter in Kun Lun. Okay? And his reward for that will be he goes into uh, the cave and uh, he has to fight, I can't recall the dragon's name, uh, he has to fight a dragon. And if he beats the dragon... Shao Lao, Shu Lao, yeah. yes. Um, he plunges his hand into uh, the dragon's heart. And then he hugs it and he gets the dragon's uh, tattoo on his chest. So if Danny Rand wants to come back, does he then plunge his hand into the Iron Fist heart and then hug him to get his tattoo back?
0: <laughs> Perhaps. <I> hope not. <laughs>
2: that would be That'd be, kinda, that'd be some kali masha. Just <laughs> poof, yeah, rips out the <laughs> heart. Little Mortal Combat action.
4: Yeah.
1: Uh, so, if he wants to be Iron Fist again, he's got to put his hand through the heart of the new Iron Fist.
4: Mm-hmm. That'd be a cool way, like, to get the powers and stuff back. Like people, like a, if someone wants his powers now, you just punch the heart of the current Iron Fist. You have to beat it. <laughs> yeah, you
3: got to yeah, beat him. That's the thing.
4: Yeah, got to kill him.
3: That'd yep, be kind of right? cool.
0: Okay, if this if this happens, right? I kind of feel like Danny Rand is gonna be gone. Like, I don't, I don't. I kind of feel like this is an angle to get iron fist into the movies without having to ever have to deal with the conversation about him being white. Whoa, interesting. Again. Yeah, I could see I, that. Um, yeah.
2: Yeah. It's I mean, great. I don't know. I don't, I don't know that that'll definitely happen, but I, I think that like you bringing that up makes a lot of sense to me. Like I could see it being, um, you know, like, or at least not the first time that's happened with comic book character, right? Like mantles pass. Um, and if this is the version that, you know, gets brought to the big screen and is good and people connect with it, um, yeah, I mean, there's a chance that, that that is the path forward, right? That like, um, whoever this new Iron Fist is, is popular and Danny's old hat, right? Um, it's not like Danny's, you know, Danny Rand in Iron Fist is the most popular Marvel character, not by a lot. Um, he's pretty popular. Sure. I'm not saying that he nobody cares about him, too. but I mean, he's not... You know, he's not an A-list character uh, in the way that all the characters that they've put forward and had starring roles in movies and stuff like that have been. Um, I mean, Shang-Chi, he wasn't like an A-lister before his movie came out. That's my point. Oh, I see. I see. I thought you were saying the opposite point. No, no, no. My point is that, yeah, he's not an A-lister. And the way that most characters become A-listers is to have a movie or a TV mm. show. And to Sean's point, if the new show or the new movie is starring whoever the new Iron Fist is rather than a Danny Rand, that will be the character that people associate with Iron Fist moving forward, not Danny Rand. And he might come back in the comics. He might become a new character or take up a new mantle or whatever, but um, he will probably not be Iron Fist anymore then moving forward right at least not in the public you know perception um you know and whether whether or not you know that's a good or a bad thing is i is kind of like immaterial i think to the point that that sean's making that i think it's it's something that like will likely happen if that's if that's the the line they're trying to draw right now you know
1: it, it's weird because um the shang chi movie incorporated elements of the iron fist mythology, if Mm -hmm. I remember correctly. Uh, and it made me feel like, well, what's the point of an iron fist anymore, regardless of who's under, you know, the the cowl or whatever, because Mm -hmm. I feel like we've, we've got that covered now.
4: That's what I was thinking is if, if they want to replace the, if they want to replace iron fist in the comics and let's say it does get translated into the movies then yeah I had a similar thought of just like, well what is it what does it matter if we have uh, a, like a, a similar in terms of these are the aesthetics that we're trying to get off from uh like a Asian influence action hero. You know well what is it what does it matter at that point? Danny and the, the Netflix movie the Netflix TV shows are gonna be material at that point. Or not necessarily worth revisiting. I mean initially um you know, Iron Fist
3: had his place in, in you know, uh, uh, Kung Fu books, but, you know, eventually he and Luke Cage couldn't sell, so they put him together and made Heroes for Hire, and that's where Iron Fist really made his his mark. Um, and Shang-Chi, um, you know, despite being a, a, a BC tier character, sold strong. Because of you know his kung fu roots, so so they did you know have separate worlds that they inhabited and and you know made work.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, I I I haven't cared about you know a, a Danny Rand comic book, a, you know an Iron Fist comic book in a long time. Unfortunately, I had I had a lot of love for that character in the Bendis era. Mm-hmm. when he was a part of the new Avengers and all that good stuff. Um, and then uh, Carr Andrews had a really great Iron Fist run. Uh, it was a mini, but it was, it was fantastic. It's very good. Yeah. Um, and then for me, the character might as well have not existed since then. But despite that, I like Iron Fist. And I'm not sure what is exciting about Iron Fist. Right if because what is Iron Fist without Danny Rand? right and- yeah uh, the character himself is a, a, a
3: commentary you know uh, good or bad is a commentary on on the white savior you know mentality similar to dr. Strange to it to an extent right you know that that's a conversation to be had but you know, that story, Danny Rands story is a commentary on that and when it's used and done well, it's done really well. The problem is you can only do that a couple of times I think. Sure
0: otherwise well, yeah sorry go ahead. I was just gonna say you know I don't think that you have to beat people over the head. I think sure the, the problem is that people will not accept that. You know, Mm -hmm. the the Iron Fist show, bad as it was, received criticism before we even watched it because of the fact that a white guy was playing this role, Mm -hmm. even though the character in the comics is also white. Sure. And we had this conversation back then about what to do about that, about Mm -hmm. whether or not that was okay. Um, and four years on, I, I guess. I'm frustrated by the idea that this character can't exist because people just don't want to see a white guy in that role. When, as Kale pointed out, you know, the very existence of the character is actually a condemnation of exactly what they're accusing the character of being. Hmm. But because people don't know that and they've probably never engaged with Iron Fist in the comics, they're just reacting off what they see. And that really sucks. Mm. Um something
1: that's always kind of flushed me around that debate was like why why is it that like for anything that's a martial arts character what why does it have to be like an asian person playing him because that to me feels really racist like that feels yep. like really racially driven to be like oh only asian people can do kung fu characters in in movies or tv like i'm all for creating more diverse roles in hollywood i think that is important to see more like uh, racial diversity in, in in media but like to put people in boxes where it's like you know only an asian person can play a character that knows martial arts or kung fu or has that background i remember a specific instance in the 60s star trek where the the producers of the show wanted to give george takei's uh sulu uh like a samurai sword that he could do. And he was like, I really don't want to do that because it was really racially driven. He's like, What if I what if the character was really good at fencing? And so Sulu was good at fencing instead. Sure. Which is not like an inherent Asian background. I actually don't know where fencing comes from. But uh um, it's, it's that yeah, so it's it's that kind of thing where it's just like, can we just not make everything
2: like in a box and feel really racially driven? Yeah, and I and I think i think i generally agree with that like i don't i don't inherently have any issue with the idea of like danny rand being a a white guy who does karate um or kung fu rather um that's fine i think on on its face um but i you know i guess to play devil's advocate in the conversation i feel like uh part of it is like it's easy to say that but then it's like okay but like (laughs) How many Kung Fu movies get made, right? And it's like there's only been Shang-Chi, who's the only uh, Asian lead in the Marvel Universe.
1: That's not true. I mean, throughout like the seventies, eighties and nineties, there were a myriad of Kung
2: Fu no, but movies. But now that
1: different martial artists. Yes, that, that's fair.
2: And and that's the, and that's the context with which this is being discussed, right? If we were living through uh, you know, uh, like there were all of these like kung fu movies, it was a golden age of kung fu movies, and there was one series about a white martial artist, I think it'd be a different conversation.
0: I don't. I think that people have made up their minds about what how things have to be and you know you look at even in the comics you know we're going to talk about like our main topic which we're basically in at this point um is about you know the diversity in comics and one of the things that you see a lot and i've spoken about this myself is that writers are often pigeonholed into writing characters who look like them in real life and that when that doesn't happen it's always a topic of conversation now. Mm. So I feel like we have moved into a space where, you know, you can't necessarily tell stories or be a part of stories that aren't, you know, your lived experience. Like just the other day, I read an article about how um, uh, actors, certain actors have been called, uh, you know, onto the carpet for playing Characters who are LGBT like Benedict Cumberbatch was actually um, called out for this and Juliana Margulies and their response was, well, I'm an actor. This is what I do. Mm. Why? You know, why would I why wouldn't I be able to to play that role? I think it's about the story. And if the story of Danny Rand being a white guy who does who's a martial artist is, is compelling. I don't know what more matters. Like, why can't that happen? It's it's just a really strange time that we're living in. And I think we're seeing it more and more. And so I, anyone who has a response to that can feel free to do so. But I want to get us into the main topic. So sure. I'll get us into it and we can sort of use everything we just discussed as a, you know, as a lead in. Sure. So I think that the comic book industry is not unique. In that it has definitely undergone a lot of changes as it relates to the way it presents not just its characters, but the people behind the books as well. Um, And wanting things to be more diverse and inclusive. I think, you know, we've seen over the years a lot of. I actually went back and listened to some of our prior discussions about this, and, um, you know, they were pretty good. Although our audio quality was not uh, not necessarily up to par, um, Marco, Marco, <laughs> me, I had a bad mic too. I've changed um, things. Yes, yes, you have. Um, and one of the things that we talked about even back then was the fact that you know Marvel and at the time Rebirth was coming out, so that was DC kind of like. Mm. You know, getting away from some of their more diverse decisions and rooting right back into the, you know the main characters, uh, while Marvel had replaced you know Bruce Banner with Emma Cho and Tony Stark with Riri Williams and Wolverine with X twenty three and all these different things, um, and it's funny because with the exception of X twenty three as Wolverine, which is just her a moniker that, that she now shares with uh, Logan. All of those, you know, big moves that were made around that time have been undone, um, which I'm happy about. Go ahead, Kale. Miles Morales. Well, Miles Morales was he he predates that wave because okay. there was okay. yeah I see yeah. Yeah, I mean he came out um, in 2011 I think right somewhere in there yeah yeah okay yeah t- yeah definitely 2011 um years. but yeah so but you know now. I think we have seen a different approach to diversity because now the diversity that we're seeing is more about diversity of uh, sexuality or sexual orientation. Hmm. We've seen a lot of that. Uh, More recently, we saw DC's major announcement of John Kent and Tim Drake as both being bisexual. Um, And bisexual men. Bisexual men. Yes. Which is yeah, huge in itself. Yep, we've seen more of an acceptance of Harley Quinn's sexuality, which we have talked on the show about how, you know, she wasn't really allowed to have her relationship with Poison Ivy and stuff like that. Now there's a an animated series where you can see that.
2: Yeah, it went from being something that was like alluded to to being right. very much in the text.
0: Yes, uh, to a lesser degree, I guess, you know, Mystique and Destiny. Sure. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Um, And since then, we've gotten our first uh, Marvel movie to feature an Asian main character in Shang-Chi. We got since then Captain Marvel and Black Widow, Black Panther. So a lot has happened. A lot has happened. And I think that a lot of it is good. But unfortunately, I don't think it's all good. And I think that there is something to be said, and this will be controversial, but I think there is something to be said about the commodification of diversity in comics. Mm -hmm. And I'm scared. And this is where we'll open the floor. I'm scared of because we criticize, we have criticized brands For, you know, like oh, it's it's you know like what's a what's a brand? Uh, It's 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 whatever.
4: And Pride Month and their colors change to whatever the fuck,
0: right? Or you know they put out some shitty T-shirt or some some you know something representing
2: yeah. They're like, hey, queer community, allow us to take your money,
5: (laughs) right, for for one month. Yeah, right,
0: and then we'll go back to ignoring that you exist. Exactly. And obviously, comics are created by people who are certainly, you know, passionate, especially when you get, you know, say a a black writer working on, you know, Black Panther or Luke Cage or whatever. You you know, there's a genuine desire there to make that something special. But I think on the other side of something like that, um, it can certainly feel as though perfect example justice league queer Mm. that you know round robin tournament that dc had earlier in the year to determine what book they were going to publish or whatever and one of the most controversial elements was the justice league queer inclusion to that um to that list and them losing in this tournament well so our Our ability to see this come to life was based on other people voting for it. You know, right. Real weird. And that is something that I can imagine queer fans of DC won't forget. Uh, And it's something that I'm certainly not going to forget. And again, it feels as though diversity is cool when it's something that you can make money off of. So I'll leave I'll leave it there as you know, that that'll set the stage and you guys can, you know, say whatever you feel like saying.
2: Um, yeah, I'll, I'll respond. I, I have a few thoughts. Um, Cause I think, I think it is kind of a multifaceted conversation and it's one that's like still developing. Right. Which is why I think that like you see examples of good, you know, like you said, right. Like there's examples of like clear wins where it's like, this is a successful project. Uh, Helmed by a marginalized group or or a marginalized a creator of a marginalized group who's been able to You know kind of break through right? Um, I think Black Panther is probably the most famous example of that right? It was conventional wisdom in Hollywood that you couldn't have a movie that starred all black actors right and a big budget Blockbuster movie that it wouldn't do do well in in whatever key market demographics what have you Uh, and the movie made a billion dollars, right? so uh, Great. And then I think you have some of these other examples that feel more crass and they feel more like um, they feel more like companies either looking to, you know, capitalize on what they see as an emerging market of, you know, of like young, visibly queer people and wanting to make media um, that's that's for that demographic um, or who want to pat on the back. Right, like with what we talked about, where it's like, look at us—we're on the right side of history—and like, what are they actually materially doing aside from selling a different version of their product with like a rainbow on it? Right, like that's not really helping anybody. Um, But where I think uh, I I'll I'll push back on on some of this stuff um, that you said there is like I think that it it gets tough because like in the example of. Black Panther, right? Like, that movie didn't get made um, for no reason, right? Like, it didn't just happen. We as a culture didn't come to a point where that was acceptable. You had, uh, you know, someone like a Kevin Feige, right, who was in a position of power and was able to leverage that, similar to, like, what we talked about with Bendis, right, where, like, Miles Morales exists because Brian Michael Bendis was a famous comic book creator. Um, So while you know i i I hear what you're saying sean like i i think like you get in this sticky situation where like when you have gatekeepers to places like hollywood or like to writing at like the big two at a marvel or a dc um and the vast majority of those people are, are like white dudes um i feel like you have you have an uphill battle as someone who doesn't exist in that you know venn diagram of person who is like oh this is what a comic book creator looks like right um which is obviously not true but it's again it's that quote-unquote conventional wisdom um that becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy right and like i think a lot of times the kind of crass you know corporate desire to capitalize on something is a is a brick through the window to make something that used to be taboo or niche or counterculture have the ability to break in and be featured on the the big screen and be the biggest Hollywood blockbuster of the year and on and on and on Um, so I I don't I don't know that it's like a clean black and white situation right of like well this is good and this is this is bad I think you can look at the examples and and break them down that way Um, but I think sometimes one can kind of lead to the other in a roundabout long-term way um which is why i think it's not such it's just not cut and dry you know it's like it, it is like a thing where i think for every good example you're going to see probably one or two or three bad ones you know um and i guess the the conversation you need to have with yourself right or, or we as a community need to have right is like um are are the wins worth the losses and I think I would argue that they probably are um, because if like this era right of like of like the Disney's of the world realizing that they can make money um, by making art that appeals to queer people leads to there being art that appeals to queer people in the mainstream and is available to them and um, you know gives them that representation that they're looking for uh, in the examples where it's good and authentic. Um, that's something that didn't really exist before, right? As evidenced by, you know, the the previous conversations we've had about this. Um, so I don't know, you know, like uh, that's not to, to make excuses for the the bad or the crass examples. But I think it's more that like you're going to get one with the other. I feel like that's like how waves in media work, right? Is like somebody has a good authentic idea and it hits and then you have a lot of imitators, you know, and people who are like, allow me to rush And start panhandling for the gold because it's here, right? There's blood in the water. We want some of it. And I I think you can, like, look at that in examples that matter a lot less, right? Like the MCU's success at doing the broad interconnected universe. And then we saw a bunch of people try to ape that and do a shitty, terrible job. That didn't mean that that idea was bad. It was that you were an imitator and you weren't interested in presenting it in an authentic way. You had uh, this crass version that was created by, you know, committee. Um, And I think that's ultimately the difference is whether it's quality or not, right? It's like, what's the impetus behind it, right? And, you know, it's not to say that like things made uh, with the effort, like things that are made for profit don't also don't have to be uh, artistically null. Um, Again, go back to Black Panther, right? Like, I think you could argue that there's a lot of good artistry to that movie, even though it's a major motion picture, major commercial product that existed to sell tickets and make money. So I don't know. It's tough. As cynical
1: as as um, brands trying to like uh, kind of leech the money off marginalized groups in this country makes me, because it is. I think it's inherently cynical and depressing that that happens. I think I think there's a small window when when people who are members of marginalized communities. I don't know. Feel good about being represented in in mm. culture. I guess you know, we 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 circle back to just like um, actual important change or or things that uh, result in, in like actual movements in in society. And I don't know. I don't know how much you know. Uh, I don't know how much these characters on page or film matter in the grand scheme of things we talk about wonder woman's ability to influence a little girl or something don't know how much that actually happens or, or whatever i think that's not something that's really quantifiable uh but what is quantifiable is hiring a person of color or a person of the lgbtq plus community to write those things or draw those things because that's 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 actually giving people money to influence these things behind the scenes additionally the other thing i think about is is this is like the really cynical and negative thing but the things that affect our lives every day like in government is just constantly making things worse for marginalized communities in, in politics and stuff and there, there just hasn't there are people of color and 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 more lgbtq plus people in you know, government bodies and stuff than there were 20 years ago. That's true. In terms of policy, things haven't improved much in that regard um, for whatever reason you want to ascribe to it. So, with all these cynical things in mind, I think if people, you know, I'm certainly not a person of, you know, an oppressed community at all or a marginalized community. But I think with all that in mind, if people of color or or people in the LGBTQ plus community or any other kind of marginalized or minority community kind of feel a win in like pride month or something, I think that's fine. As cynical as the motives of these corporations are and trying to like drain people of money because ultimately at the end of the day, I think a w- any win is a win, you know?
3: Yeah, to that end, I think, I think, I think as well with um with stuff like you know targets uh uh pride month display that shows up once a year i think the communities are are are, are they see that you know and and i think i think that's also that's also a good thing um you know is that it's that you know we're not letting corporations dictate what is good and isn't to a
0: degree except when we do and that's that's kind of i'm so glad you said that because i think that these examples within comics and in the films that are based on comic characters what i see sometimes not all the time is we're gonna do this diversity thing and then people buy into it because yeah. it's you know a brand that they're otherwise not questioning like you might you might balk at disney doing something that is you know diverse for you know a month or whatever but are you going to balk at eternals and its cast if the yeah. movie sucks how do you feel about that you know i think i think it gets weird when you're talking about these characters that we love and attach ourselves to
1: well, you know, the Eternals is a nice example of, of a nice middle ground, where uh, oftentimes the complaints of people of 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 diversity in comics or or, or comic book films or what have you circle around like race changing characters, right? Those are the things that really ruffle the feathers of the community, making you know uh, Captain America black or or making
0: Thor a woman. These are the things that Really fluster comic book fans. I want to stop you right there, just just so we're clear. When you say race change, you are talking about a mantle passing on to a person who is not the same race as the original.
3: Well, you know what? It's... <laughs> not not wow. '30s Lois Lane becoming a black woman.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
1: well, no, you know what? It's 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 both. They both those things fluster people. Making you know Johnny Storm a black person in the uh, uh, Josh Trank mm. Fantastic Four movie also flustered audiences it doesn't yeah. really matter uh it's just when you take an established character whether it's through mantle passing or changing their race or gender or what have you that flusters the community Well, my point here is that eternals is an entirely new thing for audiences and you know I, you know the the characters may race change or whatever but there's such a bottom of the totem pole priority for comical fans i don't think most audiences or comical fans care that they're changing like the identity of these characters right it's it's something fresh in that regard um so i think the term i i i think if you're going to do like a diversity moment in film for comic book films like eternals is a good example of one that'll i suppose ruffle the least amount of feathers of people in the community um but if it doesn't do well or if it's panned you know are people going to blame it on that
0: diversity rather than it the quality of its film or whatever. I don't know. What, what frustrates me in the Eternals example is that it feels like Marvel's response to the criticism that they received in every other phase mm-hmm. about a lack of diversity. And I don't want that. I don't want these movies or these comics or whatever to become... Hey, you guys wanted uh, you know, Asian, Middle Eastern, gay, black, you wanted all this. Well, here it is. That doesn't do it for me. And it feels like that's exactly what Eternals is.
3: I'm I'm reminded of and and through this conversation, I've been reminded of of this of when we spoke to Brian Edward Hill and his story about he was in a, a lecture or something, and a person asked what good representation is, and everyone's response was was things like like Twelve Years a Slave, and you know, uh, you know, things that have, uh, you know, good meaty content, you know, Oscar contenders, et cetera, et cetera. But his answer was, um, not Die Hard. What's the other one? Um, lethal weapon
0: Mm, yeah yeah because
3: it's a it's a white man and a black man working together and that's life they're just there it's not a big deal that's just how it is and like that that is what is missing it feels like it's not like you know Marvel (laughs) Marvel prides itself on being the comics that happen that could be happening right outside your window But people aren't getting parades for white men and black men working together. Like, this is just life. You know, there are gay people out there. Deal with it. You know, it doesn't need to be, well, look at this inclusion and look at that inclusion. And, oh, we missed that one. Like, just tell the story. And if you're going to be the thing outside the window, do it
1: you nailed it what was that uh comic book panel uh like three or four years ago that everyone was ridiculing i think it was like a captain marvel comic or something where a character was just like wow i'm so inspired by her such and such and such and such it was like a whole monologue like uh and everyone like ridiculed it because it was just like it was so exposition heavy and and like focused way too hard on like the diversity or whatever do you remember what i'm
0: talking about no, I don't remember that, but I'll see if I can find it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Kale, I, I feel like you nailed it. I think that's what's that's the missing key for me. Always. Mm-hmm. Um, it feels like people are looking for their morality points, and I just mm-hmm. want to see cool characters doing cool things. I think when you root yourself in that, you can appeal to anybody, you know, mystique and destiny is the example that I go back to because it's probably my favorite example them being in love and together is not a part of the story outside of the fact that they're in love like who they are them being you know i don't know if they're like lesbian i don't know what the appropriate phrasing is but them being queer people is not the point of the story their love is causing the inferno But it's not because they're gay or lesbian or anything like that. It's because of who they are, you know, and that's the difference. Why is it that John Ridley only so far at D.C. has gotten to write black characters, Mm. you know, Ta-Nehisi Coates finally got his at bat with Captain America. It felt like Marvel didn't give a shit about that Captain America. run. You know, that's what I'm talking about, but. John Kent comes out as by and I mean, they didn't even give the man the chance. They put it out there on front street. I understand there were reasons why they felt they had to do that, but it's like, damn, it feels like you're trying to get some type of, you know, uh uh congratulations out of this. And I don't think that that's necessarily deserved. I want to see the story.
4: I've, So I've been thinking about this from uh, from the brand perspective, just because I think, like at, at, at work, this has been something that we've had to sort of broach is how do you communicate a brand's willingness to participate in the conversation that happens on a societal level, when People are asking, "Hey, what are your opinions uh, on it, and how do they check against what I feel, uh, or whatever respective person?" And it makes it difficult because, as a brand, you don't want to necessarily associate because your your statement, to whatever degree, affects sales, um, and that's cynical. But I think similarly, the way that you, the way people think that buying a certain book or something is emblematic of supporting the ideologies versus the, like an art, let's say Um I think that that's a similar conversation in that th- the brands will make a statement. The brands will in that example, like, Hey, John Kent is, is by now. Like this is, you know, this is a thing because we we're not morality points, but like, Saving the fa- saving face on this is our joint perspective, and we're okay. And we need to make sure that people understand that we're okay with this. They're making and, a moral statement. Yeah, yeah, and I think that that that's what ends up happening in um, first stuff like the like Pride Month, where you know everybody's profile picture suddenly has all these colors on it, and it's it's a play on support because people want because the communities in which they service want to see that support. But it's a double edged sword, because then the people that see that don't want it to be a brand play. But how do you support? How does a brand support the community without it inherently being tied to the brand? And that that makes it difficult to be able to separate uh any kind of genuine reaction because you you also have to realize that the brand is made up of different people who then within it have diverse ideas and and opinions and can you separate right and like can you separate the people within the brand from those individual people like how does that all tie together and it becomes just like super murky and a lot of it is yeah like a, a morality play because hey we're not Trying to harm the community, we want to support the community, and this is a statement to say so. Um, but if if you if you feel like it is cynical for us to make that statement, then we can't appease that either.
2: I don't think it's inherently cynical to make a statement, though. Right? Like I think there's a difference between um, you know a company that changes their you know their their logo to be rainbow for Pride Month, and then you know I don't know like supports, you know, legislation that's against, you know, uh, queer folks, right? Like, that's clearly transparent versus like, I don't know, like an organization that, you know, um, does so because they have you know, a significant number of the people in the company are queer, right? Or like right. it's it's actually representative of the company's values because of who makes up that company or who that company sells to or who that company, um, you know, like sees as their consumer base, right? And being like, hey, like just so you're aware, this is where our values are as an organization, right? Um, and and I think it's easy to look at that as being an inherently cynical or or thing but i don't think it is because i think the idea i think it it comes from this like weird perspective that i feel like people have about action versus inaction where people look at it as being a binary choice between i either take action or things stay the same right like doing nothing is not an action but doing nothing is an action right like choosing not to make a statement about how you feel about something is a statement right um and that is something that I think that like when you're talking about these multinational corporations and stuff like that, that becomes a big part of the conversation, right where if you are an organization um that doesn't uh plant your flag while others do like that that says something about you right um and and,
4: and that's the part that i I have issues with because it's it's a catch twenty two on whether or not you support. Or don't support because you don't necessarily want to make that statement because then it, it it appears to be that okay we are pandering to this community or we are trying to, uh from a messaging standpoint say hey okay now you know all queer folk give this bank money for this month and
2: yeah but uh, like remove banks like that's different like we're talking about like businesses that make art like I think that that's like not the same thing as like. A consumer product or service or something like that if you want to have that conversation i think that's a different conversation than this art like when you're
1: consumer they are peddling consumer products still though sure
2: right like a book is a consumer product but like you can't moralize around those the same way right like the idea that like marvel and dc are uh companies that You know, the way that they make money is by telling stories about characters who are heroes, right, and who are supposed to be these paragons of virtue in many ways. And and not every character, of course, but, you know, the marquee peeps. Um, Like Sean said earlier, right, like we imprint ourselves on art. Right? Like we make connections to characters and to, you know, brands because something like Marvel has existed before we were born and it'll exist long after we're dead. And the folks that were writing when we started reading comics won't be re- writing when we're, when we are nearing the end of our lives and hopefully still reading comics. Uh, but Spider Man will, right? And saying to your audience, right? Like, hey, we as Marvel, You know, queer readers, we see you. We acknowledge you. We value you. Like that. Like not doing that is making a statement and saying that, hey, like we want you to buy our books and everything, but we don't care uh, enough about you as a community to make any kind of statement that might hurt our bottom line. That's that's a moral statement. And you as a consumer, if you react to that and say, well, I don't want to support a company that doesn't want to support me, that's your right as a consumer. And I think that's where it comes back on that for me.
4: But I feel like that's to Kale's point is like, if if it exists outside of needing to make it that spectacle, then what is it? What does it necessarily matter? Like, can it, can it not just be the, this is how this, this is. And I don't have to like by by me not making the statement uh, or by some sort of inaction and just publishing a book where these things exist does that publishing a is, book where
2: these things exist is an action that's you planning your your flag and saying we're doing this we're taking this risk even though we know that this may alienate some readers we are creating this book for you
4: but I I don't think that that's creating the book for you for the community if you're just putting out a book that is what you see what do you see outside the window if it's just that that casual piece of just hey this is just what exists like, I don't think that that's a statement because you, you like the statement would be we therefore support versus hey, these are characters that exist and embody reality.
0: I, I want to jump in because I would rather know that Marvel thought that Kevin Feige thought that a Black Panther movie would be good and would have something relevant to say. Um, and could make audiences fall in love with a character that they don't know. I would rather that that be the reason that that movie gets made than it gets made because they need to make a movie with a black lead or a black cast.
2: But so who said they need to, though?
0: So if it's about that market, if the market, if you believe that there's an untapped market of X group that wants to see this, and so you make it because those people will go out and watch it that's what I'm talking about if they need to do that because they're like yeah we can make a lot of money off of this because black people I don't I don't want that but I mean like I guess my argument is like is that does
2: that matter if the art's good like if to me it does of well course. that's of course that's the where, intent
0: matters that's
2: where the cynicism comes in right but the intent of who though the intent of like the person who signs the check or the artist right because like that wasn't You know, that wasn't the people who worked on Black Panther's intent. That might have been the fucking, you know, dudes two, three levels above them that signed the check are like, yeah, great, cool. We can make money on this. Yeah, but like, who the fuck cares about them? They're not artists. They're not creators. They're businessmen. That's all they do is try to make
0: money. But but that assumes that they don't play a role. And we know for a fact that's not the case. So in the case of what I'm talking about with Marvel, by the way, that's not why Black Panther got made. I was I was just using that as an example. Black Panther is a perfect example of what's good. Um, But in the case of Marvel, we know that even though we had, you know, Black Widow up front, even though we had Nick Fury, even though we had War Machine, the people who were making the decisions, the guys you're talking about wanted to keep those characters down. Yeah, that's the reason we didn't get a Black Panther sooner. That's the reason we get it didn't get a Black Widow or Captain Marvel sooner. So Black Widow toys. (laughs) Yeah. There is intersectionality between the artist who has a genuine desire to show us something that's different and the people behind them who are paying them to do what they want them to do. And that's the point of this conversation. It's the it's the
3: difference of you know being chained in a basement and being starved to death. You know, and after two weeks, somebody brings you food. and You're like, oh, thank God. Thank you for bringing me food. When you really could just not be chained in
2: a basement and they co- could feed you. Yeah. And <laughs> like, I, I i don't disagree with I don't disagree with what either of you are saying there. But I think like, like to take it back to the examples we keep pulling to, right? Like, that's not the world we live in. Like, but it could be. Sure. But I, I think I would argue that like, it's. The pieces of art that break through that start that, right? Because now the conventional wisdom isn't that a movie like Black Panther can't make money, right? Now the conventional wisdom is, oh, that movie can make a billion dollars. But and why?
0: What what caused that change? The success of Black Panther and the quality of it. No, the decision, the authentic, genuine decision on the part of people who had the desire to make it right. Yeah, absolutely. The jump. So why is Black Panther such a major success, but we couldn't get a Black Widow movie prior to now? Why is it that the same company, DC Comics, who is telling us that they support LGBTQ people, and one of the ways that they do that is by giving us John Kent as a bisexual man, not two years ago, was being raked over the coals for removing the Harley Quinn Poison Ivy relationship from the comics. Which version of DC is it that we're dealing with in any given moment? Is it the one that removed the re- representation or the one that now has added that to John Kent's uh, uh, status?
2: Sure. Yeah, I and mean, really, with a company like that, you have to just base it on what they're doing now, because two years ago, different people were in charge, you know, uh, you can't,
1: but you can't really ascribe moral values to a company at any given time. Exactly. Because that's not what they are. They're right. capitalism doesn't give a shit about morality. It inherently just prioritizes
0: profit. Yeah. And that what you just said is exactly what I was hoping that we would get at, because by the way. DC, the version of DC that exists now is the same version of DC that did the Justice League queer shit this very same year. Yeah. So which version of DC are we talking about? That is why my key takeaway from all these years, and I have learned it almost specifically from comics and from these movies that are related to them, is that as fans, we have to stop and be very careful we are attaching ourselves to art that is created with studios or companies that back them that have v- probably, possibly very different beliefs than you do sure. about mm-hmm. the same things they're talking about. Ike Perlm- Perlmutter was the person running Marvel Comics and Marvel F- Studios. The guy was a Trump-supporting racist.
5: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. At the same time that they're doing all this diversity play. Well, where's his money going to? So once you get into that minutia, that's why we we have to be careful. We cannot yeah. put ourselves into these brands. And that would be my takeaway message. Stop looking for DC or Marvel to do what you want them to do, because they are a company that are run by people you don't know. Don't come at Tom, uh, uh tom taylor for diversity if you don't like it or if you like it but you don't like what he did with that girl because the chances that those decisions are exclusively his are zero when we go back to the beginning of this
1: conversation i talked about the rot basically that exists in like every social or every like organizational sphere in this country like our government all the big corporations—they may dangle something that looks like a carrot in front of you, and it may taste like a carrot, but the thing that's holding that carrot is entirely disgusting and purely motivated by greed and and money, and does not actually care about the well-being, frankly, anybody, but especially people that are already marginalized and being neglected, because all they all these giant like industries see when when a person of color or, or you know an lgbtq plus person is walking down the street there's a dollar sign
5: well, a any, any person
1: money. yeah
2: yeah no i know and yeah, exactly. yeah like any person right but i i think and i and i like i definitely agree with you right like that's that's the reason these companies exist is to make money um but i think i think i come back to the the something that you said earlier phil right where it's like you take wins where you can get them because we live in a cynical world we live in a world that's like we're we are deep in the throes of late stage capitalism right like you know um i i think as much as it's true right everything you just said about ike perlmutter that doesn't mean that um that the art that was made by marvel during that time is is all ingenuine either right um that the folks that were, and I, i'm not that you're making that point um and i think it's just that like when you have art that it has to be made or not necessarily has to be made but is being made in a society where the entire point of it to exist is to perpetuate a money-making machine um yeah some of this cynical stuff is just part of par for the course right like it's it's a it's a like a, a market reality you know as it were
0: we live in a Fuck society. I, and, and and that's why I choose to divorce myself from caring about the morality of companies and corporations. Sure. Unless they're doing shit that's overtly evil in front of our face, I don't care. Because well, the fact Amazon. of the matter is that while people are celebrating Marvel's diversity, the head of Marvel is donating money to um, the, the party that wants you to not exist and <laughs> yeah. that's bad yep. so i'm not going to celebrate sam wilson being captain america while the guy at the head of the table is doing things that will make me real life me not comic book me die or it's, have less quality of life
1: yeah i mean when it boil when we boil it down to its most simple elements if if people of color or or you know uh People in the queer community um, are happy by say like John Kent being by. That's a win. You know, I'm glad you have that representation. Like that, it's not. It's like, not that that specific thing isn't for me, but inherently, if if something is for not is not for me and it makes you happy, that's fine. You know, but the thing that's also frustrating is the vitriolic conversation around things like this because when there is you know quote unquote forced diversity. Uh, the the vitriol that is produced by like the far right type people, because they are inherently just very racist or bigoted or problematic or whatever makes it so that there cannot be any kind of nuanced conversation around this because those folks on the far right are, are fleeing their shit so bad that there can't be a meaningful conversation because it's all the, the well has already been poisoned.
0: I think, I think that that probably goes both ways, In the sense that, you know, in the the Iron Fist example where you cannot have, you know, a white martial artist because that's going to cause a lot of people to be upset with that. Um, You know, it is is nuanced and it is complicated. And that's what we try to do when we have these conversations. Um, And I think there are a lot of people who do see it as black and white. Um, and it isn't, you know, it's, it's really, it's really not. If you have a long memory or you care to dig in beyond the headline, you'll often find something shitty under the surface. And that's what sucks. Um, as a person who has lived his entire life watching the stories of, you know, white dudes get told, and I don't even say that as a negative, I'm just saying that as a fact Um, I had to find ways to enjoy those stories, despite not necessarily seeing people who look like me in them. And I say that to say that that's an existence that I'm used to. So for me, I'm not going to be swayed by, you know, a a corporation's, um, attempt at diversity if it's an authentic because I can do without that. I want what's real. If it's real that you uh, you know, want to make this movie for authentic reasons like Kevin Feige did, or you want to make this comic for authentic reasons like Bendis and Tom Taylor, that's what I want. If the real includes diversity, if, if if that's what it is, that's what I want. But I don't want it if it's a way to make money and that's all it is. Because for me, that's not worth it. I want the world to be better. I don't want it to just look better. I'm not interested in the optics. I'm interested in the reality. sure to so, yeah to to Pete's point and and I guess you know
3: earlier on, Phil's point, we should celebrate the wins. You're absolutely right, but the fight is also not over.
5: Well,
3: you can celebrate, but the next day you have to keep going. You have to keep pushing for. The representation and and the equality and the equity that you want to see
2: i think for me it comes down to pinning praise on the right person um i think that sean's point about not patting a corporation on the back is always correct um the companies do not care about you they exist to make money uh that's the bottom line um i think to me uh, if you want to look at you know um, and we you and I talked about this on that episode Sean right the the way that um, John Kent's sexuality was announced I, I do apply cynicism to that but to me um, if the book is good if what Tom Taylor puts down is good and comes from an authentic place then that's the win that you count right and um, if that comes with the context of that some suit at DC had that idea um, because they thought they could make money, but it resulted in authentic art that spoke to someone. Um, I think I think that's I think that's part of what you have to deal with in just the world we live in because of the way that you know um, the barrier for making and releasing art to a mass audience is tough, and it's controlled by rich people um, who, again, are those same folks that don't give a fuck about you; they give a fuck about how much they can take from you. So. You know, that's not to uh, say that as an excuse for any of those things. It's just, hey, there's no ethical consumption in late stage capitalism. All companies are evil.
1: You heard Pete; he agrees with the Joker.
0: <laughs> I think uh, crime is funny. <laughs> I want to, because we gotta, we gotta wrap this. But I want to end this conversation. We we got away from core comics a little bit, but I want to end this conversation by sort of grading the state of diversity in comics. And and as you think about this, think about, you know, beyond necessarily the big two, what are we seeing just across the entire industry? I'll answer first and it'll hopefully give you guys the opportunity to think about your answer. Um, I would say that we have definitely. We're trending in a better direction. Uh, You see more representation across the board not just in terms of the people that are creating the stories, um, you know, whose names are on the cover of the book, but also the people who are, you know, ab- not above them, but like editors and, you know, people who make decisions that matter uh, with, with the, with the books. So that is great. We've seen the rise of writers like Rob V. Um, you know, the rise of writers like Vita Ayala, uh, you know, no matter what you think about uh, this person, um, Leah Williams, uh, Mags Visaggio. I think there are a lot of examples of creators who four years ago when we kind of first, well, we started having this conversation basically from day one on this podcast. But, you know, these there are a lot of creators whose names weren't really names. That are now that have been given opportunities and that have knocked it out of the park, presumably that have staked a claim for themselves. Um, So I think all that is great. On the other hand, I don't think that we could have this conversation in good faith if we didn't also acknowledge that it appears that the highest ceiling um, is still on reserve. You look to the Substack announcements and how a lot of the people who got Substack offers, and keep in mind, not the people who have Substacks. I could start one right now. The people who got offers from Substack, who got paid in advance to do their Substack, to put their stuff out through that business, they're white dudes, like by and large. Um, I don't even necessarily have a problem with that personally, but if we're grading, you know, the the industry, that's something that has to be taken into account. That at the tippy top, you're not seeing what you're seeing at the middle level, um, or even the upper mid level. And that's something that, you know, hopefully can start to change as doors open. Maybe this crop of creators isn't the one that's going to shatter that ceiling. You know, I think. That a lot of them are fantastic, but maybe Romvi's existence, no matter how far he gets, creates a lane that didn't exist before that allows the next Jonathan Hickman, who is, you know, maybe a black kid or maybe a Spanish kid or maybe, you know, an Asian woman to ascend and for that not to be weird and for all the rope in the world to be given to that person to succeed or fail. And at the end of the day, that's literally the only thing I want. I don't want writers or artists to be pigeonholed to working on um, characters that look like them. And I don't want us to be so blinded and so you know singularly minded that we can't have Danny Rand anymore. I think that that is an example of bad diversity. Diversity means everybody. And so we should all be represented. And that's all I want. So at the end of the day, I would say, it's a mixed positive grade for me when judging the industry. And last point, the existence of more companies is better for that purpose.
4: Hmm. Mm, yeah. The, I mean, the, the example that I was going to give was Rom V. And I think the other person there, Jeremy Holt, most recently who is breaking mm-hmm. out. I think there's... Uh, and the thing I think of is when I went to SPX 2019, it was just full of uh, people of color, of people uh, part of the LGBTQ community. There's just it felt like the next the wave of creators to sort of get the the bump up. Um, I, um, since then, a few names from there. Um, not the best example, but uh, Matt Lewinsky, Uh he was, you know, his books were back there in 2019, and now he was tabling himself at uh, New York Comic Con, and like these, these are creators who, like, part of that class is continuing to find their their way in the industry, and I think the industry is all the more better for it. Um, so for me, like, it's a it's a B plus, I guess it's a, it's a positive score. I think they there's more positive than there is negative because of the new kinds of companies that are growing to put comics out the initiatives that people are taking the continued democratization of publishing. And I think all that means that we have more opportunity for more voices and just telling different stories. And that's always a good thing in my mind. And if that was, you know, only two years ago at this point, two years ago, yeah, two years ago, uh, I can only imagine what five years looks like, what 10 years looks like. And that that to me only continues to, to see a better trend.
2: Um, yeah, I, I'd say I generally agree, I think, um, with what Sean's saying in terms of like where I'm at in terms of like a grade is... We're definitely skewing in a positive direction. I think, you know, you compare when we started the show to where we are now um, and things are very different um, across the board, you know, as high as Black Panther being a billion dollar success to, you know, um, like what we said, where it's like on the ground level, a lot of up and coming people in the industry um, are not straight white dudes, you know, um, and that you know was not the case when I started reading comics, you know. Uh, so I I think, I think that is positive, you know, and I think that, um, as much as, you know, uh, those, those things are positive and that we have seen a lot of progress, um, take it back to something Kale said, right? Like the, the war ain't over, you know, the fight is never over. Um, it's, it's a, it's a moving target, right? Because I think, um, You'll hit a point a couple years from now where things that are taboo now will not be taboo, and there will be new things that are taboo, um, or there there will be things that you know are new ideas now that will be established ideas by then. And if companies are still lagging behind, like it's you know it's it's a it's a constant uh, it's a constant fight, and it moves forward inches and inches at a time. Um, and I think as, as long as we're moving in the right direction, that's the best that you can hope for um and the fact that there are more ways to make comics to read them um that only makes things better you know like things like webtoons and you know um some of those other alternative kind of formats and and distribution channels and everything um those are things that i think will be great democratizers because you, what's the barrier of entry for you to make the number 1 webtoon right like your your skill and, you know, uh, luck, right? Um, you don't need to wait for somebody to tell you yes. And I think that's, uh, that's the thing that is going to um, be the, the examples that push us forward the most is the breakout hits like that. And like Sean said, right, like not waiting for a Marvel or a DC to give you what you want because somebody is already out there making it as a labor of love and a passion project. Um, and, you know, throw your weight behind that.
4: And just adding to that piece, I think um manga's the, the growth of manga is probably a really good example as well as just new creators that can enter the field. Peach Momoko, I think coming from manga specifically and now like doing Marvel books is another really good example.
1: I really don't think there's much more to add at this point. Um from from like a boots on the ground standpoint, things aren't improving. It's the stuff behind the scenes I don't know about, but they're things are, you know, objectively improving in this regard. I I don't know how you would grade it. I mean, there's still ways to go. There's a long ways to go, but yeah, things are improving.
3: <clears throat> yeah. To, quickly. I think the, the, the thing that hasn't been mentioned, that is also a very, very good sign is the, the gatekeepers are fewer and fewer. Um, You know, the, the uh, Sean mentioned like, You know, the, the Substack guys who got the big deals, you know, were predominantly white guys, but, you know, Scott Snyder has actively championed, you know, his, uh, his students and, you know, people who have come, you know, behind him, you know, he's helped the he's kept the ladder down, you know, for people like James Tinian and Marguerite Bennett and Vida Ayala, um and you know these though these are white men they're white men who mostly you know are are still doing the bare minimum of teaching and helping the the field grow um and i think that's a a very very good sign for the future
0: yeah i think so too and i hope that You know, if you take away anything from this conversation, it's that you should think critically about what you allow yourself to uh, become attached to, you know, and always remember that as cool as Superman and Batman are, uh, there are some less cool people, not always, but certainly, you know, throughout history, uh, who, you know, control what that character can and can't do can and can't be, can and can't represent, and that everything you see is calculated. No matter what you think, it's all a decision that was made and not just by one person and not by the person who's writing it. So just keep that in mind as you navigate these very tough and confusing waters. Um, At the end of the day, we on this podcast want more diversity. I think that's clear from the conversation and... We're always going to be on the lookout for this, you know, um, and, and hopefully trends will continue to be positive for the industry. Uh, a, a healthy comics industry is a diverse one. Write mm-hmm. in with your thoughts about this subject. You can get us all over the place. Follow us. Leave us a rating and a review wherever you listen to this podcast. Make sure that if you are listening to us on YouTube, youtube.com slash spouse, you have subscribed to our channel. If you are a listener and you have not subscribed, please head on over there and do that. We're a few subscribers away from 500. we really love to get there before we close out the year. So let that be your gift to us this, this year, this Christmas, this Thanksgiving. Uh, listen to our comic book reviews every Wednesday. We do our image stuff every Thursday. We do everything else. So. Check that out if you want our thoughts about Inferno or anything else that we've been talking about. Uh, All you Spawn lovers, we've got Spawn on deck this week on our image reviews. And uh, make sure you tune into our Eternals review next week. We're doing the review of the film and our book club is out now on Neil Gaiman's Eternals. Let's get into the
2: plugs. Pete. Thank you guys for joining us here in another episode of The Comics Pals. If you want to connect with me, I'm at loud underscore Pete on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, come chat with me about uh, whatever you're you're checking out these days. I'm always open for a recommendation. If you want to get some more stuff from me, you can check out my band, Long Friend, Time Friend, wherever you get your music. Uh, if you like noisy punk rock, we're a good band. Go check us out. Um, and then if you want to check out uh, my video game podcast, head over to flipscreen.games. That's the website. We got links to everywhere we are. Uh, go give it a listen. All right. kill. Cool. You're muted.
3: I sure am. That's it. You lose your plugs. No <laughs> plugs this week. Plug your shit every, every <laughs> listen. To me, just every kidding. goddamn week. I'm sorry, every time. Kill. It was just a bit every fucking time. Every fucking time. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram <laughs> at Toto Into. That's T-O-T-O-I-N-T-O W. You can find my work at Kellwar.com. That's C L E W A R D dot com.
4: Marco. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Mr. Marco Animoto. Come talk to me about. Uh, I've been reading a lot of uh, risque novels. Of course, you have. Yeah, uh, come talk to me about the sexy mangas. I'm just gonna put that out on Front Street, huh?
0: Sure is. Uh, what
4: am I gonna do? Lie?
0: <laughs> yeah, he has no shame. You know no shame, boy. Phil.
1: So. I gotta tell you, I always thought Hydra was an evil company, but when they changed their Twitter icon to have rainbow colors, I thought, you know what, Hydra might not be that bad. <laughs> As for me, you can follow <laughs> me on Twitter and Instagram at Cyborg bebop. I just saw Dune, which is a terrific motion picture. If you want to talk to me about that, Dune. Doom! Doom. Yes, MF Doom, the supervillain, RIP. Uh, yeah, so talk to me about of Doom or the movie Dune. Your call.
0: As for me, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram only at Sean Soapbox. Uh, I also saw Dune and did not think it was all that. Um, oh, yeah. So if you want to drag me for that opinion at Sean Soapbox with that, we're the comics pal signing off until next week. Take care, guys. See you next time.
3: Yo, Pete. You getting paid for being a uh,
1: devil's advocate?
5: <laughs> oh, yeah, dude.
2: The devil pay is great. Damn, I gotta get on that. Oh, he won't let you in. You're a Christian.
1: My man gets paid in the devil's place. <laughs>